You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 556. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 8th of February, 2023. In today's episode, a near collision in Austin, Texas, when controllers clear two flights for the same runway. Police charge a British Airways flight attendant with being drunk on duty. More news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 556 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining us from his studio... In the Valley of the Sun, it's world traveler, airplane mechanic, dog rescue volunteer, fitness hound, and international air freight captain, it's Miami Rick. Hello, everybody. Happy to be back. Let's get this one started. Let's. All right. Good to see you, man. And also joining us from his studio in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Well, hi, everyone, from a cold and foggy United Kingdom. Great to be back on the show. I'm looking forward to it, Jeff. And from his home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, old airplane enthusiast and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry, it's Nick Camacho. Hey guys, glad to be back, at least uh, for an abbreviated portion of time. And also joining us from a place to stand, a place for lots of snow, uh, from Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Hello, everyone. Hello. Okay, guys, have a good show. Hopefully, okay, maybe. All right, we'll try. Yeah, it's going to be great. There's not going to be any problems whatsoever. I guarantee it. None. All right. Hi, Jeff. Let's do some. Hi, hi Liz. Let's do some news. Stand by for news. All righty. Now, I don't know if y'all have heard about this. 
but uh, it was something that's obscure story. Yeah, it's just something that we just dug up. I don't know how we ended up finding it, but uh, it involves airplanes. Uh, this happened in Austin, Texas, on the fourth of February. We have several different sources for this item, so I'm not going to mention them all. So we'll just uh, have that in the show notes for you. Uh, but uh, it uh, involved a federal ex- Fed- uh, FedEx. Federal Express Boeing 767-300, registration 297 Foxtrot Echo performing flight 1432 from Memphis, Tennessee to Austin, Texas. They were on final for a Category 3 ILS approach. Again, let me repeat, a Cat 3 ILS Autoland approach to Austin's runway 18 left was cleared to land on runway 18 left. RVR was at 1400, midpoint 600, and rollout 1800. And Tower also informed the crew that a Boeing 737 would depart prior to their arrival. About four minutes after the 767 was cleared to land, a Southwest Airlines Boeing 737-700, registration 7827 Alpha, performing flight 708 or 708 from Austin, Texas to Cancun, Reported holding short of runway 18 left for departure and was clear for takeoff from 18 left. Tower advised a heavy Boeing 767 was on a three-mile final. Okay. Uh, Tower queried about Hmm. 30 seconds later whether they were on the roll. And uh, I think it was even more than that, actually. The crew confirmed that they were rolling now. Hmm. Another 25 seconds later, someone advised Southwest abort. FedEx is on the go. Tower acknowledged and instructed the 737 to turn right when able. Obviously, the tower, uh, the air traffic controller in the tower thought that the uh, aborting the, uh, statement was made from Southwest, but it was not because they weren't aborting. Uh, so the 737 continued takeoff, and after liftoff, went off the extended runway center line to the right a little bit, climbed out, and subsequently Tower instructed them to turn left and handed them off to departure. Uh, so there's there's more here to this particular uh, narrative from a, uh, Aviation Herald. Uh, but what I would like to do is I'd like to play some audio air traffic control from liveatc.net. The uh, air traffic control audio from the Austin Bergstrom International Tower. And uh, I did, by the way, snip out a lot of space. So it's, this is not real time. But we're going to have the... Um, the appropriate or the the important stuff um, in this audio recording. So here we go. Austin Tower, FedEx 1432 Heavy, passing 5.4 for the Cat 3 ILS 18 left. FedEx 1432 Heavy, Austin Tower, 18 left, RVR, touchdown 1,400, midpoint 600, rollout 1,800, 18 left, clear to land. So to land 18 left, FedEx 1708. He said, copy the traffic. Yeah. So he knows there's traffic. Knowledge. Tower confirm. Uh, FedEx 1432 heavy. Clear to land on 18 left. FedEx 
FedEx 1432 Heavy. That is a furniture. When they left you, I could have land traffic department prior to your route to 737. Roger. Southwest Hills confirm on the road. Roll on now. Southwest aboard. FedEx is on the go. Southwest 708, roger, you can turn right when able. Negative. <laughs> Negative. <laughs> Negative. <laughs> 1432, climb, maintain 3000, when able, you can turn left heading 080. When turn to 003000, FedEx 1432 heavy. I think this is when the controller is thinking, you know, I think I may have screwed up. Southwest 708, you can turn uh, left heading 170. 170, FedEx 1432, turn left heading 360, contact approach on the 125.32. 2532, left 360, FedEx 1432, heavy. Southwest 770, you can contact departure. 708, Tower, FedEx 1432, heavy is on the ILS 20 left. FedEx 1432, heavy, Austin Tower. Runway 18 left, RBR, touchdown 8. 800, midpoint 800, roll out 1,200, 1-8 left, clear to land. Clear to land, 1-8 left, FedEx, 1432 heavy. And FedEx, 1432 is exiting Lima. FedEx, 1432 heavy, roger. Report clear the runway. You can join Bravo and uh, contact ground on point nine. We'll join Bravo, ground point nine. We'll report clear in a moment, FedEx, 1432 heavy. Roger. FedEx 1432 is heavy. Let's clear the runway. It's 1432 heavy. Roger, sir. You have our apologies. We appreciate your professionalism. Thank you. And if uh, if you have a moment, please copy down this number. Mm-hmm. That's the FedEx guy. Exactly. Who gives that? Who gives yeah. the controller the number? Right. Exactly. I, I tell you, man. Jeez, Louis. So basically, the way it works, people, is that uh, if the pilots screw something up, uh, we don't get any slack. And we get numbers to copy down, uh, phone numbers, and then we get investigated. Now, I'm assuming in this case, <laughs> uh, you know, absent the number that the controller is going to have to call, uh, he will be investigated. I know, we, in fact, we know that for a fact that the NTSB is investigating this incident. And I, I would imagine that uh, that, that guy is going to get in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, I, I put out I put out a tweet the other day um, regarding this very thing, and I just could not believe that a controller would clear an aircraft for takeoff with an airplane conducting an actual Cat three auto land just three miles in trail. You think about what that means. It's um, so three miles. It's you know I've been doing this aviation thing for too long, so I believe it's three hundred feet per nautical mile. That's so that's fam- what nine hundred feet. Yeah, you know. Um, 150 knots, VREF plus five, that's what, 750 feet per minute coming down? So Mm -hmm. that airplane is a little over a minute away from touching down, relying entirely on the integrity of two radio beams, one for glide path, the other one for azimuth. And this controller has just put an airplane, one, an airplane you can't see, on a runway environment he can't see. Um... It just boggles the mind, and the fact that <laughs> the fact that the FedEx guy took it, 
He, I mean, I tell you, it just makes my blood boil. He's a better man than I am because I would have, oh my goodness, it just would not have been pretty. Yeah, his demeanor, his voice changed a little bit from the first time around because he was very happy-go-lucky kind of sounding when he first came in for that initial approach. But the second time around, it was a little bit different, but not as different as it would be if uh, Captain Rick or Captain Nick or Nick Camacho or I were probably talking on the radio the second time around. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think think you are correct. Uh, There was a discussion at first, a lot of discussion uh, about like, you know, critical area and this is a low-vis you know, category three approach, uh, depending on the airplane, you either have to see something by 50 feet, like in my airplane, or some airplanes, you don't have to see anything until you feel the airplane touching down. I would imagine that would be the case for the uh, Airbus 330-340, right, Captain Nick? Yeah, exactly right. Cat 3A, Cat 3B, uh, I believe Cat 3A, you need to see 50 feet. And uh, Cat 3B, you don't need to see anything. Um, in fact, uh, when you do it in the sim, or if you were to do it for real with uh, 75 meters uh, visibility, which is the lowest, um, you see one runway light ahead of you. But the, you know, and sometimes you don't even get that till the nose wheel is down. Uh, so that's how um, that's how hard it is to see the runway environment. So basically, you're relying entirely on the automatics to put you into the center of the runway and keep you there. Once your nose wheel's down, you can usually stop the airplane visually because the the lights are strobing past nice and easily. But the thing about uh, the safety areas around the ILS, when you're relying on it 100%, you can't see when there's a deviation because you can't you know, literally, you're the outside of the your outside world is full of cotton wool. You know, they, you see nothing driving through really dense fog. Um, it's the fact that a big lump of metal will distort those ILS beams and can push the aircraft uh, off track, uh, either to the side or vertically. Either of is is dangerous. Um, so you know, and in the in the gravest oaks, as it were, the last you know, a few seconds of that landing when you're coming right down onto the tarmac, it's absolutely vital that that guidance is really good. So vehicles or aircraft taxiing, moving around in that area is usually a complete no-no, you know. So that's why there's usually a different holding point for an aircraft that's approaching the runway, getting ready for takeoff for Cat 3 approaches, so they stay clear of that critical area, that safety area, Um, which is why it might have taken the southwest a bit longer. I don't know where the Cat 3 holding points at Austin are for that runway, but some of them are are quite a long way short of the runway. Uh, At Heathrow, for example, there are several that are quite a distance. So when you clear a guy for takeoff, he's not going to be able to get onto the runway as quickly as he would in a nice clear day, because one, he's fumbling through the fog, and two, he's got further to go uh, to line up. So the controller needs to take that into account as well, and I don't know if he he was really doing it. Um, Interestingly, uh, I asked uh, our friend Adam uh, Spink um, what he thought about the clearances and he said the the last chance you get uh, in UK and Europe in low visibility is when the aircraft on the approach is at two miles 
so a, a landing clearance must be given by two miles. So at three miles, in theory, you could uh, give the guy a takeoff, but he must be uh, clear of the runway, airborne and off the runway, before uh, the aircraft coming down the approach gets to two miles or, or about 600 feet. Uh, and even then, I think, would be a bit tight. Most people would be going, ooh, golly, that was uh, not comfortable. We, we like yeah. to, when we can't see where we're landing, we like to have the runway guaranteed to be ours. Most of us like it by about a 1,000 feet, if I'm being conservative. Um, so some people might be, feel mm. happier with it a bit lower, but for me, it would be a, around there. Um, Someone did point out that the... Uh, ILS critical area, the hold bar there is on the taxiway to the east side of the runway there uh, because the Glyslipana is um, on the east side of the field. And uh, and so obviously you're protecting the of that glide path uh, signal. On the other end, uh, you have the whole short line. And so uh, the um, the localizer signal is would not be interfered with as long as you're holding short of that uh, <coughs> runway hold short line. Um, I believe off the top of my head, and I might be wrong on this, but the uh, localizer antenna is placed um, so that the the localizer signal is about 700 feet uh, across the threshold of the runway, the landing uh, the landing threshold, and so. Um, and if you remember, you have two lobes, one at 150 hertz, the other one at 90 hertz. And um, where the two lobes um, overlap each other, that's called the null zone. And that's basically what the aircraft is using to um, uh, to uh, interpret as being on center line. When the 150 and 90 uh, frequencies basically cancel each other out, then the, air, the, uh, the system knows that you are uh, on center line there. So I, I imagine that's why there is no ILS hold short uh, or critical area hold short line there on the west side of the field because the glide slip antenna is on the east side of the of the runway. Yeah, we're looking at the uh, Google Earth right now interactively, and uh, we're showing one eight left at Austin Bergstrom. And as you mentioned, Rick, the um, the hold short or the critical area uh, bar that's what that looks like right there is on the um, on the east side. And then you mentioned the. Uh, the uh, glide slope antenna, which is right there, I'm kind of circling it with my mouse. I don't know if you can see the mouse or not on, on the video. And um, also uh, over here on the on this side, on the west side, uh, there is no uh, special marking for the critical area, so it must be coincident with this hold short line, which is a you know farther than normal away from you know, the uh, right edge of the runway if you're landing on one eight left. And uh, and then as you mentioned also. The um, the antenna for the localizer, the lateral guidance, is way down here on the other end of the runway. And I'll zoom into that uh, antenna array for the localizer. And so it's shooting down. So that's why you still have localizer guidance for landing rollout. And also some airplanes use it for guidance for low visibility takeoffs. Um, and... So, yeah, I guess at first I was thinking there wasn't any kind of critical area markings at all. And I'm thinking that can't be right for a Category 3 approach. But I guess they do have it on this side, on the east side, but not on the west side. So, as you mentioned, 
Uh, it must be protected if they're holding short of that hold line for one eight left on the west side, which is what the southwest guy was doing. But regardless of that, I mean, I you know in Atlanta, that's where I've spent most of my or all of my thirty four years, and uh, flying in and out of the world's busiest airport. Well, we have multiple runways. We have five runways, and when we're doing op- normal ops, we're using one two of the runways for uh, landings or maybe sometimes three and then two for taking takeoffs. Um, so the idea of using the same runway for low vis instrument or uh, ILS category three auto lands and also the same running for, for takeoffs, I guess is a reality for a lot of airports out there, but not the one that I'm used to. And I know that at uh, Atlanta, when we have low visibility uh, scenarios, we're they, everything really slows down a lot because what the controller has to do is they have to put us on uh, line up and wait on the inboard runway normally for takeoffs, and they will not uh, clear you for takeoff until they actually see from their tower position the um, now you know if it's got to be a certain ceiling height for them to do this. When, once they pop out of the clouds and they see these people and they determine that they are um, uh, landing is assured, then they can give you a takeoff clearance on that inboard run- a separate runway. Uh, not the same runway. Uh, so it's very conservative, especially when, when the ceilings start coming down and the visibility starts getting a little skosh. Now, when it goes to the kind of operation that they're operating under right now here, or they did at this, at the time of this incident, uh, yeah, they're not going, the, the controller in Atlanta is not going to clear you for, for takeoff until they know for sure that that airplane is actually touched down is rolling out. So that's one of the reasons why things get a little bit ba- backed up if you're a passenger and it's kind of foggy outside. That's why, you know, there's a big lineup for takeoff. And sometimes there's some holding involved and delays coming from a different airport to Atlanta because of this. They need, need more space. And then hearing that somebody is clearing somebody to line up and wait on the runner or clearing them for takeoff when the guy's on a three-mile final, that just blows my mind. I mean, even in visual conditions, that's when you kind of think to yeah. yourself, uh, how's this going to work? And this is not visual conditions exactly. by a long shot. And so I'm, I'm not even sure how this could be possibly legal to, to do. I don't know. Yeah, now, I think the, the, uh, the, the word you used, Jeff, that was important there was conservative uh, in that in Cat 3 conditions, we expect everybody to be ultra careful because, you know, there's so many of the normal uh, ability for the flight deck to uh, see and clear themselves visually. Uh, They're relying entirely on other people to set them up and they'll be concentrating very much uh, on the uh, instrumentation and on the aircraft systems to ensure they can conduct a a safe landing when they're not visual with the runway. And they're relying on the air traffic controllers to to take their part. Uh, And um, the fact that this all came apart was you know just a bit of a classic so we think the lineup was probably way too ambitious and um not, not another lovely thing that um adam says is that the controllers should uh, be asking themselves uh, all all the what ifs so they're not just can i get this guy in but what if um the southwest is a bit slow just lining up because the guy doesn't have a ground radar, ground control radar, so we can't see the aircraft on radar. He's relying entirely on the aircraft to report their positions on the ground. So when he clears the 
southwest for takeoff. He doesn't ask him to give a rolling call. He, he just assumes he will get in position and take off. He doesn't tell him to expedite either because the guys, he, he's told the guys at three miles. But Yeah, that yeah. should be implied, right? It should be, yeah. But um, he doesn't ask him to give any confirmation calls that he's rolling, etc. So he, the controller should be, I would hope, thinking, what if the Southwest is a bit slow to line up? What if the FedEx does a go-around, as is quite likely in Cat 3 conditions, because you only need a minor fault in your um, Cat 3 landing capability for you to require to do a go-around. Uh, and um, exactly. what happens if the FedEx goes around uh, and, and the Southwest gets airborne? All those should be going through his mind. Is this going to be a safe um clearance to let the southwest take off at this point and i think we've we're going to see that it obviously wasn't yes uh and and micah in right. our and audience the, and go the, ahead. The, you must we, we have a lot of latency sorry rick go ahead no I, you know it's fine it's fine I, I was i was the only thing i was going to say here is that uh both the southwest jet and the fedex jet uh saw each other not physically yours because of the conditions through their traffic collision avoidance system um, as part of the um, one of the procedures before taking an active runway. And uh, on, on a lot of airlines, at least mine, um, part of the before takeoff checklist is to make sure that your TCAS is on a TARA, tra Traffic Advisory Resolution Advisory. And so you would see other traffic targets on um, on, on your navigation display. Uh, and uh, the, the West would have certainly seen uh, the FedEx coming in with, uh, you know, at, at, at whatever, at, at the three mile uh, out mark. And you would also be able to see his rate of descent. Uh, and the FedEx would have seen a target on the runway. Um, now, the resolution advisory portion of the system uh, would not have worked because, oh, at least for the FedEx, because um, the FedEx jet was under uh, or below a thousand feet uh, radio altitude, and so uh, resolution advisories are inhibited below a thousand feet um, RA. Um, and so, uh, another thing that I, I read about, and which was I, I thought was interesting, and this I don't have any experience with because I've never flown a jet that has it, is this uh, enhanced uh, vision system which uh, FedEx jets uh, have. Uh, I, I don't know how I don't know how that works. I believe it's it's thermal. I, I'm not 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 too familiar with it. Perhaps somebody that uh, that is familiar with the system could uh, chime in. I wonder if that uh, um, uh, played a part in this and being able uh, you know help the FedEx out uh, when it came time to um, uh, you know, uh, gauge whether or not to, uh, to to do that go around there. Um, but I thought you know I thought that was interesting. But it, it shouldn't have, it should never have gotten to that point. Because yeah. as Captain Nick said, three miles is just way, way too tight. I, 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 I don't know. I would have been. I probably would have, you know, asked the controllers like, are you, "You really are clearing this guy, you know, for takeoff? I'm, I'm three miles behind." I just maybe would have just began to go around there yeah. and give myself more altitude. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, what if, what if, what if? Well, I think it he shouldn't have gotten to that point. He essentially, basically, when he said, "Confirm that we are cleared," that was almost one of those things where you could interpret as. Really? Are are you sure this is going to work out? Uh, so yeah, in yeah, my in my mind right here, here, SA here or NASA, which is um, uh, a lack uh, uh, the situation awareness uh, not uh, not available or not applicable. Uh, the uh, the it seems to me the one 
flight crew that had the best SA was that FedEx uh, flight coming in, performing that Absolutely. approach. Because, Absolutely. And not only that, but he... So he is the one that basically took over the, the entire situation and started controlling because a controller was distracted or something. I and mean, he was r- working both runways. I, t- I didn't, I cut that out of the, um, of the audio, but he was also clearing people for takeoff over there on the, on the West runway, the one eight right. And he may have been looking over there, trying to see if he could see anything over there. I don't know what was going on, but he was completely unaware of what was happening over there on one eight left. The FedEx guys, uh, crew knew that I would love to hear the conversation. I wish we had the, t- the voice, uh, recorder, uh, tapes from the discussion inside that cockpit. I guarantee it's something like, are you kidding me? He just, he just cleared a Southwest jet in front of us for takeoff and we're at three miles. How is this going to work? Um, uh, but, uh, so the South, the, the, um, the other thing that I, I would like to say, and I don't really like saying it because I don't know, you know, I wasn't there, but if I'm holding short and somebody tells me clear for takeoff, there's a airplane on a three mile, mile final. And I know it's really, really foggy out there. They're performing a low vis approach. I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've already crossed the line. So now I'm kind of committed to do this. I'm not going to dilly dally around. I'm going to put the power in right away and get this thing lined up and go because there's somebody bearing yep. down on me on my, on my, uh, big ass fan. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I'm going to get out of here and out of this guy's way. Uh, but it was more than a minute from the time that he was clear for takeoff before he finally said he was on the roll. I'm thinking, wait a minute, this was a Southwest flight, right? How could that possibly be? <laughs> it's like, how could it have taken that long to, you know, to get everything ready to go. But anyway, I would, I would, my, the hair on the back of my neck would be raised so high knowing that there's a big old 767, a heavy jet coming in on a landing. That's no, there's no way that they're going to be able to see me and I need to get out of the way, either pull up and get off the runway and move out of their way or take off and get out of the way that way. So, and and here's, and, and, and to your point, Jeff, and to your, I'm, I'm sorry. Just just one one little thing I wanted Keep to say here. Right. To your point, Jeff. The the um, there has been, I mean, out of the three of us, I'm obviously the one that's been doing this the, the least amount of time. And both both you guys have you know years and decades and decades of experience. Um, but in in my mere twenty years of airline flying, I've turned down many an ATC instruction because, in my estimation, it was. Right or the safe thing to do. Right. Um, it's that is just it's it's the captain's prerogative mm-hmm. to just say you know what no I'm not doing this. Right. If you're if you're looking at your TCAS your your navigation display you have the TCAS on how could they not have seen that jet that's like if you're even for visual conditions if somebody's at three miles I'm expecting I'm not going to get clear for takeoff that's just tight in visual conditions. This is low vis condition. I, not only let me show you just how close this was, and we're going to have this in the show notes for you too—a flight radar presentation, and it's a 
Uh, it's a uh, what? What would you call it when you put the two things together? I can't think of the word, but uh, compilation. A comp- no, not crash. a compilation. No, a crash. A pl- <laughs> almost crash. Yeah. Well, I don't know what you want to call. It. But anyway, they they they, they superimposed they maybe a superimposition yeah, of the both of the uh, of the flights here. So we're going to go hit the play button of this little video here from Flight Radar Twenty Four. And here's the uh, guy on takeoff, the guy coming in, and he's initiating his go-around. But I guess the point is that uh, – I guess I could back it up a little bit. How close did they actually get? Now, some people are estimating – again, th- this is ADSB data, so it's maybe not exactly perfect. But there's like about 75, 75. Four feet, something like that, before as, yes, as low as they got. Seventy-five, the lowest I saw there. Yep. Okay, and uh, and then they initiate. They're obviously starting to initiate their go around at this point, and the airplane's now starting to climb. But I think there was a time when this they they got with it like less than a well, obviously uh, less than a hundred feet. How close was the tail of that uh, seven thirty-seven, which is about forty feet tall, uh, approximately? Oof. Uh, to the uh, to the the fuselage at the bottom of the seven six seven, I mean, you you know we we talked about that uh, Air Canada incident in yeah. San Francisco and kind of getting like within thirty something feet of the tails of some of these airplanes that were on the taxiway that they overflew. Uh, this was another this this is so close to a major disaster. I can't. I what luck that that this was not a major disaster. Absolutely. Jeff. Keep in mind that the uh, on the on the seven sixty seven the um, autopilot flight director system is going to automatically um, your 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 pitch mode goes from glide slope to flare at fifty feet radio altitude, um, and so he it doesn't mean that you cannot initiate a go around um, at any point during the landing unless you are in that toga dead zone, which is you know five feet uh, radio altitude for more than a couple of seconds and, and and that's what happened to that emirates in in dubai when they 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 went to go around and they didn't set the power they were in that toga dead zone here but uh here on this on the, on this particular case 75 feet you hit the go around the toga paddles because the, the 767 has got paddles on the on each side and yeah you're going to begin a go around there but had it had it happened at 50 or below 50 feet that that 76 may have very well have touched down before it was able to Climb back out again and and initiate that go around there. So by by a, by a mere and and as as, as Jeff said here, just, you know we're talking about ADSB data, so it's not, you know it's it's not um, you know, completely accurate here. So we're, we're talking about just a couple of feet before that airplane would have touched down otherwise um, with another airplane a few feet ahead of it. Yeah, that's why I just I, you know, I'm just gonna make one point. Um, if I was uh, gonna do a departure. In these conditions, by the way, with the visibility low, freezing fog in place, I, depending on the taxi time, I'd be required to run my engines up, all four of them, to 70% for, I don't know, I can't remember what it was, 15 seconds, 30 seconds. Oh, yeah, for the To uh, ensure the that the fan is, yes, exactly yeah, right, were all engine, correctly yeah. de-iced before I put on full power to, to take off. I don't know what the procedures are for the 737, but it just occurred to me that I wonder if this is why he was a little bit slow going off. But again, if I was at the holding point and I knew I had to spend 30 seconds de-icing the engines before I could 
let go of the brakes, then I would not accept a takeoff clearance, uh, as Rick has quite correctly said. Yeah, not only that, Captain Nick, but you would, you would, you would, as you would tell ATC about it. Yeah, exactly right. Right, and and again, what were the what were the crew of the Southwest flight thinking when they accepted that takeoff clearance? Three. Okay, I'm going to have to more slowly than normal because of the visibility, make sure that I'm on the center line. I got to do a static takeoff. Not only do I have to do a static takeoff, but I probably have to do a run up because of the uh, engine icing implications that captain Nick just mentioned. So all that you have to think and you like, you have to make all those calculations thinking it's going to be a while before I'm actually going to be rolling down the runway. Maybe I should tell them now we're going to go ahead and wait. And uh, cause we're going to need some time on the runway. You know, I, I don't know this, the situational awareness is kind of questionable in my mind. Sorry if you're listening to me, if you're the Southwest pilots for this incident, but wow. I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It takes two to tango. This is one of those cases. I feel like, uh, I feel like the, the SA just wasn't there with the Southwest jet. I'm, I'm, I'm on the same wagon as you, uh, Captain Jeff. I'm not pointing fingers or casting aspersions or blaming, putting blame on anybody. Just me, you know, Captain Rick sitting on my seven, six, I would have been like, you know what? Let that guy land, do his thing, vacate the mm-hmm. runway, and when he is safe and I know the runway's clear, we'll go ahead and uh, and, and and get our trip to Cancun started. Right. It wasn't no, his no, fault. No, no, no rush. That's the thing. Aviation is, yeah, aviation is not a place to rush. Yes, we fly fast when we're up, you know, 35, 45,000 feet, whatever. Yeah, eight miles a minute, great. But aviation is all about taking your time, pacing yourself, thinking of all the what ifs and, uh, and, and not ever letting anyone rush you ever, ever. Cause, cause that's when things start going wrong. Yeah. Good point. Made by who, Sultan of wings. I'm sorry, Nick, to interrupt you. Uh, Sultan right. of wings, uh, totally different scenario. What if Southwest for another reason aborts stops on the runway and FedEx Autolands plows into them? There are so many reasons this was not a good idea. But again, the whole thing started from it, they never should have been cleared for takeoff with that FedEx on a ILS Category 3 final uh, at all. So that was the, the initial mistake. But uh, there, and there, there were some contribu- contributing uh, factors, obviously. But wow. Um, I, and, and again, uh, to make the point that Captain Nick has made and uh, Miami Rick has made as well, is that and and we've talked about this so many times on the show there is a certain degree of trust involved in this business we trust that the people that are de-icing our airplane and anti-icing our airplane they know what they're doing you know there's there's a level of trust there um but and if they do it wrong that has you know major consequences we trust that the air traffic controller knows what he's doing and knows what's happening out, you know, has the SA to understand that this is maybe not working out, going to work out. Um, anyway, so I, I guess that's all I'll say on that. The but, question uh, I was going to ask was what do we all think about the Southwest abort call? Uh, well, I have to say that if we're, I were in that situation that those FedEx guys were on are in, I, I probably would have done the darn same thing. I, w- I probably would have said abort because and of course, not knowing, of course, exactly where they are. I don't think they actually saw the Southwest. I think they were just doing mental calculations that this is not going to work. Maybe they had some TCAS information there, you know, as well. Um, but 
knowing now, uh, yeah, there's no way I'm going to land on this runway. I'm going to go around. Maybe there's a chance that he can abort. Maybe he's not going so quickly that he can safely do an abort. Um, I, I know that the counter argument, which you're probably going to make is you're not an air traffic controller and you could be endangering that Southwest uh, flight with all its passengers more by saying something like that. But it may have been something that they didn't even think about the consequence. They just thought, I, I just got to do something to keep us from from him taking off and flying right up into me. I don't know. Yeah. It's, I think I, I, I can see both <laughs> both arguments for whether, but I think I may have been that guy saying, abort, we're going around. And then, you know, the controller going, oh, okay, he's thinking that the Southwest guy is saying that he's aborting. Okay, yeah, right turn when able. No, uh, you're not paying attention to what's happening here. <laughs> anyway, what do you uh, think, Captain That's Nick? a good point. Uh, I, I think it would have been great if he'd done exactly as you just said. Southwest stop, because that's the call we tend to say in Europe if we're stopping on the runway. We okay. say we're stopping. Southwest stop, uh, we're going around. FedEx is going around. If they'd made that in one call, I think it would have made the essay um, for everyone so much clearer. Because now yeah. we know who's made the call. FedEx has just made the call. He's asking Southwest not to take off because he's going around above him. Um, but he didn't. He, he made it was just a, a disembodied Southwest abort call, and it's only through listening to the voice we're guessing it came from FedEx. Yeah. Um, but he then made the you know I'm going around, which was obviously an ideal call. But of course, um, <laughs> you can't see the guy, so you're going around blind, and you're just hoping that he's not. You know, one of the he's not a lightweight aircraft that day that's going to climb into your belly, uh, and I I just hate would have hated to have been in that FedEx cockpit, hoping you know that actually you know as, as your TCAS symbols merged, hoping that uh, you know you're going to be able to outclimb him. It must have been terrifying for them. Right, and he doesn't know which way that Southwest. If he's got any SA, knowing that this guy's right above him. Like, is he going to turn to the left? Is he going to turn to the right? Who knows? You know, he's yeah. supposed to go straight out. I, I think may, I don't know, really. You know, we, we're talking about, um, you know, uh, situations where we're just hypothesizing what we might do. Uh, but I'm thinking as soon as that initiation of the go around is going, I know that I'm safely above the ground and I'm, and I have a good climb rate going. I may have just started slightly deviating to the west, but well, it would again, be but lovely how, if the air yeah. trafficker at that point had given a direction right. to try and split the two aircraft. Exactly, that's what you're trusting that they're going to do. <laughs> he just sat there going, "Ooh, okay, yeah, mm, well, what's going on? What's happening?" And and this uh, this being a seven sixty seven, it's not it's not the top aircraft where I mean you hit the, you hit the go around paddles once, and you get a th uh, two thousand feet per minute, and that's all you get. Uh, where you know in, in the triple sevens, seven eight seven seven four seven, all that stuff. You hit once, you get two thousand. You get you hit twice, you get full thrust, reference thrust, and so you climb. You know, look as a, like a homesick angel. Not so on the seven six. You you get one um, uh, push of the paddle, two thousand feet per minute. That's all you get until you until uh, uh, you you get to your uh, altitude capture mode on whatever the missed approach altitude is, which you should set the second you capture the glide slope. You know, it's you know, yeah. uh, glide slope capture, missed approach altitude. And so I don't, I don't mean I should have looked at whatever, what the, uh, the, 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 the charted Mr. Perch altitude is on there, but, um, I don't know, usually two, three, 4,000 feet Yeah. at 2000 feet a minute. That's what in a minute to two minutes. Yeah. So Nigel makes a good point. His, he says, my view, one controller shouldn't be controlling two runways in a cat three 
low-vis situation. Someone's saving money and expensive safety. Yeah, well, there, we have a problem over here. <laughs> Staffing is a major yeah. issue. And in fact, this incident and a couple of others that have happened relatively recently have really put this to the forefront in the news here about what's going on. And not only, and it's not just the controllers doing dumb things. You know, we've covered that that excursion at JFK on the last couple of shows. Uh, it's pilots out there as well. There are a lot. There's a lot of turnover in this industry, and it should be something that we really start taking a big look at, and maybe slow everything down a little bit, and say what's what do we need to do to make sure that we're not going to have some major accidents uh, soon because we've had a great safety record the last decade or more. Uh, you know, it's time now maybe to not rest on our laurels. Yeah, the really pendulum needs to swing the other way again. Yeah, you know, it's it's got to the the limit of its let's save money and i think it needs to start cruising back down towards hey let's just keep an eye on this because we're perhaps cutting too hard um i just want to bring up a point that main man micah has been making and that's the landing clearance system in america where you can be given a landing clearance well in advance of your actual landing with aircraft still ahead of you uh and whereas in in the UK and Europe, you would not get a landing clearance until the runway was clear of an aircraft. Uh, so you couldn't get the situation where you get a landing clearance out there at five miles if there's another guy taking off ahead of you. But how would that uh, and the change point, the situation here today? Let's say they didn't have landing clearance. Yeah, that's exactly my point. Okay. I don't think it would have made a huge amount of difference okay. in this situation because the guy's Cat 3 minima is going to be pretty low. It's going to be 50 feet or zero. Uh, so it, that's when he, if he, <laughs> if it's Cat 3B, he doesn't have to go around. Uh, but when does the captain decide that if he hasn't got a landing clearance, he needs to go around? He could have left it almost as late as he did it in this actual case, they could have come so close together still because it's then up to the crew. I haven't had a landing clearance. I'm waiting for one. I've got to continue. When shall I decide to go around? It's entirely on the crew then, the captain or the first officer, uh, to go, uh, no, I don't feel comfortable with this. I'm going around. And if he had left it a bit late, they could have been equally as close. Yeah. So true. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure that we're not going to. And there's another thing here. And there's another thing here. Just, just, just. No, no. I was, I was just going to mention that uh, one, one. You know, anytime, uh, and and we keep hearing, you know, RVR, RVR, RVR. What's RVR? RVR stands for runway visual range. And the runway visual range is basically your horizontal visibility. As just pretend you're sitting in the in the in the cockpit of your aircraft there, and you're looking at the window. The horizontal visibility is how far down the runway you can you can actually see. Uh, and uh, anytime you get to below 1,200 RVR here in the states, um, you go into what's called um, Lovis procedures, and and there is a there are um, specific taxi routes that to get you from the apron to the runway. And so everything changes the second you go, you know, below 1,200 RVR here. Uh, I don't know what the what the number is um, across the pond there, Captain Nick, but um, just uh, you know, one more thing to keep in mind there. You know, the fact that uh, you know we you we were in fact in low vis operations, uh, low vis uh, low vis procedures in effect, um, uh, and 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 things got um, you know 
so, so, so far down, so close to being a, 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 a disaster. Um, I just, um, I'm, like I said, I don't, I don't understand how it got, you know, got, got so bad so quick. Right. So what do you think Camacho? Um, any, any different viewpoints or do you largely agree no, with, I, you know, I think the, to me, uh, with my limited experience in the situation or in the scenario, I was kind of thinking the same thing. I think Micah was when he was talking about the abort on the runway. Yeah. Um, you know, it just seems like, uh, I, I don't know how you would handle that situation safely. Yeah. Well, you know, as we always like to say here on the APG, those darn Thunions were lining up on that day. <laughs> they <Yep>. were. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure this is not the last of uh, this discussion about this particular incident, but uh, I think we did a pretty good job of starting the discussion. What was that, Liz? We want to know what disciplinary action was taken with that. Oh, yeah. Disciplinary action might be might be appropriate. I don't know. We shall see. What have I done wrong now? Uh, Yeah, we're not talking about you at this moment. Oh. Because we we would be doing that so you couldn't hear our discussion, Nick. <laughs> uh, all right. And HR isn't here yet. Yeah, HR is coming though. She's yeah. like within less than a less than a three miles. Five miles. Mi- yeah, she's approach. a three mile final. Clear for takeoff, Captain Nick. <laughs> Clear for takeoff, Nick. Clear for takeoff. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I better be quick. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's do one uh, B. Um, a. Let's see. This is from Avweb. Dot uh, com. Pilots charged after allegedly buzzing boats and then crashing. All right, so uh, let's start with uh, this. A district. Is that lady that was no. having trouble no. sending her motorboat in front of airplanes? She's no, this is a different motorboat incident. Get her own back. Yeah, that does, that does seem to be kind of a theme recently uh, with boats and, and <laughs> boats airplanes and at the same time. <laughs> Uh, but this happened, uh, well, not that long ago, actually, September 11th, to keep that mind, uh, that date in mind, uh, September 11th, 2022, a district court with jurisdiction in Larimer, Larimer County, Colorado, has filed misdemeanor charges against a then 34-year-old flight instructor who crashed a Cessna 172 uh, after allegedly buzzing two boats on the Horsetooth Reservoir uh, near Fort Collins, Colorado. Hey, Vernon, you know anything about this? Uh, he he lives yeah, in Fort Collins, doesn't he? Yeah, maybe Vernon. I don't know. Was Vernon in the airplane or was it Vernon in the boat? I don't know. Uh, the pilot, uh, not Vernon, uh, but uh, Ahmed El Kada, issued a mm-hmm. statement citing mechanical problems during a non-instructional sightseeing flight. <laughs> but after an examination of the Cessna and recorded flight data, investigators have rejected his assertions. Uh, El Kada uh, reportedly left the country shortly after the accident. And a warrant for his arrest is now in effect with the Larimer County Sheriff's Office asking the public for help in locating him. The pilot's brother, Hamad Al-Qaeda, 36 years old, also a certificated pilot, was on board the flight, which departed from Boulder Municipal Airport. After viewing dozens of photographs of the incident supplied by witnesses, including boaters, uh, the... um, Let's see, where was I? I think I just missed my, I was trying to do something and I, now I've lost my place. Oh, here we go. The sheriff's office first contacted the FBI to initiate federal charges, but the matter was ultimately referred to the district court leading to charges on five counts of menacing and six counts of reckless endangerment. 
According to the sheriff's office, legislation acted, enacted in 2021, quote, narrowed the definition of felony menacing as a result, threatening immediate serious injury with a vehicle or aircraft is classified as a misdemeanor under current law, which is a lower level of charge, um, which is kind of amazing to me. So this was just a misdemeanor. Um, so this guy flying the airplane and buzzing the boats identified himself as an ATP rated pilot with a type rating in the Embraer 145 regional jet. In the statement, he said he was currently employed by the flight school that operated the Cessna and claimed 3,500 hours of experience, including 2,300 hours of flight instruction given. He said his brother is also an ATP rated uh, pilot with 7,000 hours logged and is a pilot for an overseas airline. He said the accident flight was his third sightseeing sortie of the day over the reservoir. He reportedly first claimed there was a loss of engine power and then cited a stuck elevator issue. An examination of the aircraft and review of flight data by the FAA and the National Transportation Safety Board convinced investigators that El Kadaz claims were unsubstantiated, he was lying, and the cause of the accident was not due to mechanical malfunctions or anomalies. And the sheriff said, the fact that someone would show such reckless disregard for the lives of others is concerning, but it's even more disturbing on a date, September 11th, that holds so much pain and significance for our country. The lack of legal accountability is frustrating, to say the least. Yeah, there's some photos that yeah, we'll have in the show notes. that will a misdemeanor? Sh- yeah, misdemeanor is... Uh, That's a- misdemeanor because they changed the law to bump yeah. it. Ba- basically changed the law to only allow them to make it a misdemeanor. Okay. I mean, th- that's not a, a yeah. very high, serious no. charge, a misdemeanor. Is- no. It's like a lot. Most people wouldn't even go to jail for getting a misdemeanor. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. I think we're all a bit confused about that. Yeah. By the way, uh, there's a famous character in our kids' comics here called Dennis the Menace. So, oh, yeah. I'm just wondering. It was we have a, Dennis, such too. such a shame his name wasn't Dennis. <laughs> Dennis the Menace, sir. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Wow. So we'll have some nice little uh photos that we'll have in the show notes. You can see uh, him obviously with the engine he trouble and the close, elevator to... troubles obviously, you know. It could have been anything else. Yeah, I know. He had such bad elevator troubles, he had to overfly that. that boat. He's Yeah. <laughs> he's flying in he's flying in uh, in you know in, in, in ground effect, maintaining ground effect with uh, elevator problems. The guys, you know, he's he's wow. Brilliant. He's, he's yeah. Yeah. Not only that, there's another picture of a, a pretty sporty turn. Yeah. Uh, for a Cessna that's not very high off the ground. <laughs> right. It's like 60, 70 degrees of bank, I think, something like that. Yeah. 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 Pretty. So uh, were these guys whale fishing, and this chap in the <laughs> aircraft was trying to save the whale? Yes, uh, Greenpeace, I think. No. Yeah. I don't think that was. <laughs> yeah. 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 Crazy, huh? Yeah. Absolutely um, nuts. Hey, you want to talk about 747s, Captain Nick? Uh, no, I think uh, this is definitely one for Red. <laughs> he doesn't. I know. The, I know. We all oh, want to I'd talk just about like this. to point out that yes. I, I heard Budweiser uh, sponsored this little prank or this little exercise. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, it's Stephanie here. Okay. Oh, hey, hey, it's Steph. Yeah, I just Welcome. Hey, Joe. Oh, just gonna, Hi. Good to see you all. I'm glad that you were able to make it. Yeah. Um, Brilliant. No, Hi. I Hello. Um, so we're talking yeah, now. We're, we're just ending the. Uh, yeah, we we spent a lot of time on our first item. The yeah, uh, I 
I know where you are. I heard okay. the whole discussion. It was great. Not much that I would add there either. Um, but if you're interested later on, since we've kind of moved on, I'll tell you what I do in my Part 91 world um, to help mitigate some of those kinds of situations. Well, I think it would be appropriate for us to for you to tell us right now. We can Jump do that. in and say it right now? Yeah. Um, so... The, the flying that I do, I just assume that everyone is out there to try and crash into me or create conflict. They are. Uh, so, yeah, I know. Uh, believe me, I know. <laughs> um, and whether that's <laughs> traffic that's, you know, talking to ATC, sometimes traffic that is talking to ATC, uh, or just me wanting to let other people know that I know what's, what's going on and I'm paying attention. Um, it, virtually all aircraft out there now have ADSB out, almost all. Um, which is very nice because you can get a receiver if you don't already have one in your GA aircraft, a Stratus, and display that on a screen in front of you. Um, it's not perfect. It's not always 100%, but it gives a lot of additional situational awareness, which I think is really super important. And I fly with that all the time now because it just it, it creates such a different picture for me um, than being out there and just kind of relying on what I see with my eyes or what a controller is telling me. So that's been been a huge plus over the past two years or so. But, uh, you know, I always look at that information before I take off. I look at it while I'm in the climb, you know, before we're going to drop jumpers, make sure that something hasn't been neglected or not seen with an aircraft flying over the field. And um, certainly on our descents as well. It's a great tool. Good job. Well done. Yeah. yeah to, so use all the tools that you have at your disposal to as long as you don't help mitigate get complacent these. about looking for the people that don't have it. <laughs> Correct. Well, that's why I said it's not not right. all aircraft, and it's not a hundred percent. It's just another tool out there to add to your arsenal of things that'll keep you more situationally mm. aware. Yep. I I love class alpha airspace flying. That's just <laughs> yeah. You feel so much more comfortable, <laughs> what, don't what you? Is class yeah. A, class alpha. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll know oh, someday, yeah. probably. Yeah, I could never believe it that I could fly half around the damn world, pitch up somewhere in America, and be given an instrument approach that was through Class A airspace. And they were bug smashers and all sorts of uncontrolled idiots around there trying to kill me. And I'm going, uh, excuse me. Freedom, so man. you know oh, who man. I am? Are <laughs> <laughs> you calling Steph an idiot? Uh, I don't think uh, he was calling Steph an idiot, Liz. Coming I'm, out of, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I suppose <laughs> uh, Nick is was, again referring say, to us as what? cowboys. Uh, go ahead, uh, Rick. Yeah, Rick absolutely. is having some latency they, issues, yeah. so uh, go ahead. No, I, 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 yeah, I, I am. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that uh, it's one of the things that I'm not going to miss uh, is flying out of um, March Air Force Base, a Riverside area there, with all the flight oh, schools man. around there, because <laughs> all those flights at all those flights. It's, it's funny because um, we <laughs> they even they even uh, changed our company departure procedure out of there where it's it's we we were authorized to take up to the maximum tail end component so that we could stay out of that practice uh, out of the practice area there because every i mean i flew out of there um, you know many many times and uh maybe i don't know three or four out of every 10 i would get a resolution advisory coming out of there and every time i'd get coming out of there there was the you know the paperwork that goes along with it the you know just having a you know uh, just file a report and you know and this and that and getting involved with the feds and it's just a pain and so um oh yeah I I totally I totally get you Captain Nick it's 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 quite uh it's quite interesting the, the sometimes the kind of the kind of things that you that you see in our in this beautiful country of ours 
But as Rick mentioned, it's a lovely country. Uh, you know, Southern California is like, pff, I think, the busiest place in the entire country, probably the world. And uh, I remember flying into Ontario, Rick, <laughs> in a 727 back in the 90s, you know, before TCAS was a thing and before ADSB was a thing or nobody was using it. And I saw a Cessna 172, you know, the bank angle uh, Camacho of that uh, uh, Cessna over the lake. That's kind of what I was seeing as we were going right by him. Um, and uh, yeah, we nearly hit the guy. And I'm thinking, wow, this is this is crazy. But it was per he was perfectly legal where wow. he was. And we were perfectly legal on an extended, you know, uh, ILS approach. And uh, yeah. wow, really have to keep your eyes peeled, as they say. 747. All right. Let's you think about all the, all, the, all, the, all the inflights that, that, that have happened. They've happened over Southern California. Yeah. Yep. Yes, Nick. Anyway, it's a it's a very pretty little crown, mm. isn't it? They did a good job. It is. So why don't we put that <laughs> up, uh, Liz? The uh, the graphic that uh, Captain Nick is referring to, and uh, so uh, uh, Miami Rick, Captain Miami Rick, uh, why don't you tell us what is this all about? What did a guy just kind of decide? I love the 747 so much that I'm going to just do some doodling in the sky and uh, draw this beautiful graphic, uh, the queen of the sky, the 747. So please tell us about what's going on here. Oh, that was that was uh, that's exactly what happened. Uh, the guy loves the <laughs> okay. seven four so much that he figured. You know, it's just, uh, in fact, it was it was. This Rick is what happened every time seven. you flew. So yes. yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, he's like, why, why, why not? No, but in all truth, in all truth, it's the uh, the end the end of an era, sad end of an era. There, uh, line number one five seven four. The last seven four off the line there. Um, you be um, just uh, flew, yeah, <laughs> flew from uh, from uh, Payne Field uh, down to Cincinnati, and they uh, they drew that uh, crown and that seven four seven there um, at pretty low altitude. Actually, I was looking at it that the, they they just went up to think to twelve or thirteen thousand feet before they uh, climbed uh, up to forty one thousand feet and oh. uh, and uh, did the uh, the flight up there before descending into Cincinnati. Uh, uh, earlier, um, a few days ago. Oh, um, speaking of that, you, wanna, two you want to great gentlemen play on the that video? on that flight? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say two great guys on that flight: uh, uh, Tom Bice and uh, Joe Massone, um, uh, Czech airmen and instructors there um, at um, at the um, the outfit. Uh, uh, and then uh, they 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 brought it in there, Donati. Uh, um, and did a beautiful, beautiful um, soft landing there, which um, we'll see. Right. Um, I thought for sure you must have been look at that. flying this one. Wow. Buttered Oof. it on. Oh, isn't wow. That? <laughs> look at that. I need a gum shield. Uh. <laughs> That is, uh, yeah, reverse. there's going to yeah, be. Yeah, look, it's going. Be, you know, when you put the reversers yeah, on, it really is effective. There's, there's butter on that runway. <laughs> look at this. Uh, oh, yeah, splat. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, so apparently, apparently, not that, not that, uh, not that can land at 
that that softly but uh so apparently that wasn't land in fact and uh, the reason why it's not land is because uh they needed to to start the clock for the auto land certification uh, of the aircraft uh you need to have an auto land uh performed um at least once every 30 days to keep the aircraft auto land certified and so since that was the first flight um into the uh, base, uh, then they figured out. Right, let's do. Let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and do a do an auto land and get that clock going there. And so, uh, but I tell you, landing a light aircraft um, is there's nothing trickier than that um, because it's um, you know you just <laughs> I've I've learned I've learned that um, you, when you come in when you come in to land that that light, um, you're talking about uh, you know approach reference speeds for flaps. So on the on Boeing, we land with both flaps 25 and flap 30, obviously flap 30 being the, the, the higher flap setting, which affords lower approach speed. And so usually when we're coming in very, very light indeed, uh, you, you try to go for flap 25 so that your ground speed's a little higher. Because when you're coming in that light, you don't land referenced, uh, referencing, well, of course you reference speed, but more speed type uh, maneuver where you want to maintain a constant ground speed to keep the bottom from falling out at the end there. Um, and uh, obviously, you you flare at a certain altitude, but at very, very light weights, you really want to land the airplane with power. If you cut the power too quick, then the bottom falls out and you just plop down. And so, uh, but yeah, these, these these gentlemen did a fantastic job. And uh, uh, it's, um, imagine uh, in the, the, the fly crew that flew the last 747 off the line. Uh, quite, uh, quite the honor. So, um, oh yeah, yeah, and it's going to a good home. I'll good hopefully see. get to fly that very. Yeah, I was saying, very I bet you will. I, I'm, 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 I can understand why they did an auto land break. Their their eyes was probably full of tears. <laughs> tears of sadness. Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tears of. <laughs> this is all what sort, my life has come to. The emotions I am. <laughs> 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 Oh, choices, man. life choices. Yeah. Life choices, yes. It's all about choices. All right. So uh, we're going to go ahead and skip um, some of the other, the, a lot of good news articles in here, but uh, we're kind of running a little bit late uh, on that. So we're going to go skip to uh, 1G. Um, oh, good. I, I was hoping we weren't going to skip this one because yeah. I haven't read it, but I only read the uh, the title, Well, which caught my attention. See, we... we we airline pilots like 1G. We like to keep it at 1G. Yeah. Did I say 1G? I meant 1H. What happened? It looks like everything just you said G. Okay. Liz, Liz rearranging things. Which, which, oh, one, which one are we actually doing? The British Airways one, right? Yeah. H. Okay. Okay. Oh, no, H. We're doing the Norwegian one. H. Yeah. No, it's the. Uh, well, you know what? Since we just said G, HR wanted to do. We got to do. We got to do G article. and H. It just says balls. Yeah. yeah. So okay. Okay. Do, do okay. 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 That's All right. So um, <laughs> we had a little confusion there with the, uh, the letters. Probably mostly my fault. So I'm going to uh, just stop for a moment here, and then I'm going to continue with one G. Hang on. Here we go. Oh balls. A Norwegian Air Sweden Boeing 737-800 registration Sierra Echo Romeo Romeo Echo performing flight 5359 from Gothenburg, Sweden to uh, Alicante, Alicante, uh, Alicante, Spain. Alicante. Alicante, Spain. Hey! Woo! Carrying the soccer team of... 
IFK. A bunch of Mexican people. Well, I don't, I don't have any reference but, except for Mexico because it's next to <laughs> the States. Okay. <laughs> Although I have been to Spain. I just don't remember people, uh, what they do when they yell. Um, anyway. Okay. Um, ole, yeah. no, oh, no, you. <laughs> oh, you? What? In Spanish. Okay. They uh, say, they say you in Spanish. <laughs> Ole. <laughs> okay. Moving on. All right. So uh, we have this flight. It's a Norwegian Air, Sweden, Boeing 737-800, carrying a soccer team of uh, IFK Gothenburg. Gothenburg? Uh, amongst their passengers was climbing out of Gothenburg uh, when the crew stopped the climb at flight level 120 and decided to divert to Copenhagen or Copenhagen, Denmark, after learning that the soccer team had brought along several dozen soccer balls, which had been loaded in the cargo bays, or I guess I should say footballs, uh, had been loaded in the cargo bays, causing the crew to be concerned the pressure differential might cause those balls to burst. The aircraft landed safely no, in Copenhagen about ball. 50 minutes after departure from Gothenburg. Uh, what the a air- ball buster. Yeah, what a ball buster. <laughs> uh, you should hear Liz in the background, too. She's having fun with us. Uh, the aircraft remained on the ground in Copenhagen for about one hour and then continued the flight and reached Alicante with a delay of about 95 minutes. A player of uh, IFK Gothenburg reported the captain became aware of the balls in the, oh, in the cargo uh, during climb-out. And told the passengers in what the captain named an an odd announcement that they had about thirty balls on board, which would mean about fifteen people. No, wait, um, the soccer balls. I'm sorry, they had about thirty balls on board, and he was concerned the pressure differential might cause those balls to burst and cause damage. Mm. Oh, that would be painful. Hence, they were diverting to Copenhagen. After landing, all air would be released from those balls, and they continue. After a a review of the now uninflated footballs by the captain himself, the aircraft continued to Spain. Now, it turns out (laughs) that when they landed, they said, you know, like, what's going on? And they checked out the balls, and uh, the balls were uh, were not inflated. Um, And uh, that was some miscommunication. Were they they blue? Uh, I think they may have been. <laughs> I think if they had I mean, over. going to pack yeah. 30 damn great big footballs in a cargo hold when you could squeeze 30 uh, uninflated ones in one bag, a small bag. I, I'm just going, small bag? why on earth did they think they were inflated? Sounds or like a small sack, maybe. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the scientific term for that. Yeah. yeah. So, or a large sack. Well, but, I think somebody made a, uh, a comment here that. Even if the balls were fully inflated, uh, even even if they had gone up to high altitude and have, had a rapid D, uh, there the balls probably still would not have exploded. I mean that these these things can handle a lot of inflation. The balls are tougher than you They're, think. The balls are tougher than you think. Although, don't take that too for granted. <laughs> yes. um, and uh, so uh, I, I'm thinking this is kind of a major over. You know another person here in the commentary said uh, the U.S. Transport uh, Security Agency, the TSA, has no objections carrying basketballs, baseballs, footballs, soccer balls in the cabin or belly. So in other words, I I'm, I think maybe he overreacted and maybe, you know, didn't think this thing through well. I don't know. An abundance of caution. Yeah, well, you know, you do need to be conservative with your balls. That's for sure. <laughs> if they, <laughs> if they did pop. You, no, you, you normally only yeah, get much, two. Yeah, only get two. So, 
make mm. a hell of a mess if they all if they, <laughs> if they both go you're in hell. <laughs> yeah. a heck of a trouble a lot of trouble yeah. okay yeah not yeah good. the, the cost damage not part good. is the part that yeah. i was like kind of hung up on too mm-hmm. uh, yeah what uh what sort of damage they were yeah in, inside the damage cargo to the right? <laughs> so that was my first thought i was like did they really land an airplane so that they would not like did they really waste thousands of pounds of gas to save 30 soccer balls yes uh-huh. and then i got down to the bottom and i realized they, they were worried that the soccer balls were going to damage the airplane uh-huh i know boeing's been struggling but i think they build a better airplane than that we're not going to ask captain nick what <laughs> no his uh, uh, yeah okay thank you <laughs> <laughs> okay and finally the one that i thought we were going to uh, before I was extremely. Can I just say that I'm really glad yes. that we covered that last one, though. That was, that was worth it. You like that? You like the uh, covering the balls? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, next one is uh, H. British Airways flight attendant was arrested at Gatwick. Who is doing all that terrible noise in the background? I think it's the British Airways flight attendant in the background. Oh, I see. We had actual ah. audio of. Okay. Yeah, she's a uh, could be. Well, you know what? I didn't yeah. think this was really much of a story because aren't ev- isn't everybody over there in the UK like this? Oh yeah, well all the women, huh? <laughs> okay. Jeez. <laughs> okay, a woman was arrested on suspicion HR, of performing HR notes. <laughs> an aviation function. Oh wait a minute, woman arrested on suspicion of performing an aviation function. Hmm. Is that what I just did today? Hmm. Yeah. Went over the prescribed limit for alcohol, says Sussex police. Um, okay, so she has been arrested for being drunk while on a flight to the UK. The arrest was made at Gatwick on Thursday, the 26th of January, where sources say police were called to meet the aircraft at the gate on arrival. The service had reportedly arrived in the Sussex Air- Airport from, um, another flight had ar- arrived from uh, Gran Canaria. The Sun reported that passengers were forced to remain on the aircraft for 45 minutes after landing as the plane parked at a remote stand and waited for police officers to come on and offload the female crew member. According to reports, uh, because they had to wait for 45 minutes uh, after landing, uh, the rest of the passengers were also drunk, uh, drinking all the remaining duty-free alcohol <laughs> on board. Um, Sussex police confirmed that the female crew member had been arrested on suspicion. Okay. The, how many times do we have to, how many yeah. different ways can we say this? They're probably going to say it three more times. Uh, probably, least. You're probably right. Yeah. Um, well, that's the only fact they have. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's like, <laughs> gotta keep saying you, you want to say it a few, a few different ways. <laughs> yeah. Arrested flight attorney. Yeah. So, way, uh, so you're the, saying she was drunk. I'm, that's what well, I'm not saying. That's what they're saying. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. allegedly. Yeah. What is that? Uh, okay. How much, uh, how much alcohol can you have while performing an aviation Zero. function, Nick? Zero. Well, no, but this. Zero. It says there's a prescribed limit. Hmm. Yeah, the limit zero. Okay. There you go. Okay, that's an, that's an odd so way to say. Grand Canaria um, is that a is that that's is that like a party town? Uh, that it's a little, uh, one of those islands, right? Well, it's it's a common uh, tourist Vacation. destination. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just I'm sure they have parties there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the staffing shortage of British Airways just got worse. I wonder why it took them 45 minutes to get the police out to the gate. Well, they were like, waiting for it to sober up. Because <laughs> they were drunk. <laughs> they had been drinking as well. <laughs> I don't know. 
Doesn't Slightly make higher sense. prescribed limit, though. All right, let's get to know each other. Okay, let's get to know each other. That's a good idea, Liz. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's see if I can find that right. particular sound clip. Oh, we're not going to do the abandoned baby. Oh, well. No, nope, we're going to save that one. Yeah, here we go. <sighs> get it to know us. Okay, that time of the show where we kind of get all caught up. It's going to take some time. So we're going to talk to uh, the person that we haven't seen in a while, Miami Rick. Um, Do you have any um, news for us as far as what's been happening with you? Nope. No, I'm All just right. kidding, yes. Let's uh, yeah. go on then to... Uh, um. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's been a little while, but uh, yeah, I've been uh, staying busy, flying a lot. Uh, um, it's funny because, so when the when the airline rolling out their new large display system, their LDS system here, it was a little bit touch go at first because you need to maintain currency on that thing you need to have a flying segment at least once every months and then if you don't get one in those three months then you need to do your uh, online uh, what is it your uh, online um, whatever you know presentation there to obtain currency for another three um uh, rick sorry you, this is you just slipped that one you just slipped that one past me. The the Boeing large display unit is that for people with eyesight problems? It is, or people that have been drinking. One of the two. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. Um, okay, that's good. So, so that yeah. BA probably yeah. have a lot of those. And so, and so with the <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. They start they current on those apparently. Um, and so, um, it's 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 funny now because. Um, we're we're getting to the point where we're getting to the changeover point where we have more LDS jets than we don't, and so now it's happens. getting to the point where we're going to have to start maintaining. Yeah, we have to start maintaining currency on on the um, on the uh, the legacy system. You know, the old big um, pack um, system that the seven sixty seven was um, first introduced uh, with back in. You know, 1981. So it's been a long time. Um, not a lot has changed until the uh, this uh, this mod was um, put in, uh, in in these in the jets. Um, but it's not going to matter um, here very very shortly because uh, um, I'll uh, I'll be I'll be hanging my wings on the on you know on on seven six seven side of things and going back to the uh, queen of the skies, the seven forty seven. What? Here very very short. Are you going to down? Are you you're down bending to uh, first yeah, officer. Yeah, I know. Did you miss it? No, 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 no. I'll, I'll, you know, somehow I'll, um, I, I, I convinced him to, uh, to, to let me keep my fourth stripe. Um, and so, um, I'll be going back to the seven, four, um, on the left side there. So that's going to be, that's going to be interesting. Um, but I was thinking about what, what it. What is and, that? Um, the church of the seven, four, seven? It's the LDS. It's the LDS, uh, uh, where they, they make the LDS, um, system, screens. large mm-hmm. screen, uh, display screen system. Yeah, but sorry. This is they're made. They're made in. They're made in Utah, <laughs> Salt Lake City. 
<laughs> LDS, when most people say LDS, they think of Latter-day Saints, Latter-day Saints. Uh, Mormons. Ah, okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so for a while, I've been affectionately referring chief to the, the uh, chief engineer's name is Jebediah. It's a <laughs> great the guy. Mormon jet. Come on, let's get back to Rick's big announcement. I'm sorry. Yeah, let's get back. I'm sorry. I kind of derailed your really important news that you got a captain's bed to the 747. That's awesome. Yeah, okay. Where's yeah, the applause? Yeah. Uh, they don't trust you with two engines anymore. That's what it is. <laughs> no, no. Apparently they don't. And so it's like, <laughs> yeah, let's give Rick an, an extra two engines. <laughs> yeah. I know. He's, he's, yeah, exactly. So let's give, let's anyway, give him an extra two. You're going to love that, Rick, aren't you? Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I I, I tell you, but I, I was as, as I was saying, it was it was you know thinking about the fact that this may be the last time I fly the seven six, and uh, and you know in my career and uh, going back to the seven six, it really does you know have a very special place in my heart because it was it was my first jet, the first jet that I ever achieved command on the you know the 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 the, the airplane that I've learned uh, you know the airline business on you know learned you know high performance flying uh, you know. Jet aircraft flying, um, mountain flying, all that stuff on, on the seven six. And so it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be sad to let that old girl go. Um, and so you know, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll leave for my last uh, seven six line here in in a couple of days, and um, that that may be it. That may be it. But you know, it's 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 happy. It's a happy day as well because you know, going back to the seven forty seven is. Uh, um, it's, it's quite, quite the, quite the honor, you know, being able to, being able to fly that, that the seven four and, and being able to fly the last seven four off the line is going to be, it's going to be quite interesting as well. Um, uh, flying, um, you know, both the 400, the dash eight and the dream lifter is going to be, is going to be a yeah. good time. And I, and yes. just personally, I've always been, I've always been, yeah, I've always been partial to long haul flying. I, I, I enjoy the long haul flying. And now that the uh, world is pretty much open again, post, uh, covid craziness uh you know uh it's going to be fun to travel around again and get to see uh some of the places that i haven't been to uh in in a couple of in a couple of years and so i timed it so that um i expire as far as recurrent oh no uh, recurrent <laughs> what you what's wrong yeah i know i know <laughs> i expire in if in, in 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 march is my grace month and so i thought for sure so that i was going to expire before to rickwood but man you know, word choice and syntax. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, who knew we'd be talking about Grace, Mormons, <laughs> and Spies, all in getting to know Captain Miami Rich. Yeah, that's uh, not good. But uh, there you go. Very scary. Yeah, so I did. I, I did it so that I don't have to go through two check rights. I just go through my through my you know normal. I'll, I'll do a couple of a uh, couple of sim sessions on the seven four. Get signed up there. Do my recurrent my proficiency my yearly proficiency check on the seven four, and then go out to the line. Do my uh, my uh, my captain's um, uh, IOE initial operating experience. Get signed up there and uh, and go back to line flying. And so uh, I thought you know let's let's get this done before. I'm on the seven six or another aircraft for five years because if if I if I take longer than five years to go back to the seven forty seven, then I have to go through a long course, and that's uh, as they say, a long course, and, and nobody got time for that. Yeah, uh, it's seven four seven four is a great airplane, but is uh, I tell you the 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 seven forty seven type rating is a bear of a type rating to get because it's a very complicated airplane because of all the systems and subsystems and and uh, and. Um, you know, um, all sorts of um, redundancies uh, that that airplane uh, has, which which makes it you know such such a great jet. But uh, going through the schoolhouse, learning that jet is uh, 
you know, uh, even for us who love the system stuff is, uh, is, is, is a little challenging. And so, um, so yeah, Not figure you. get, get this done. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> but it's, uh, for rest of the rest of us, I'm yes, happy. but not you. Rick wrote the yeah. book on the systems for the seven four. I'm pretty sure. So, it's, yeah. <laughs> hey, so did you say you're going to be able to fly the, um, dream, uh, dream lifter? Yes. Yes. Gary. Back to, uh, um, yeah. Be lifting dreams from Japan to Wichita <laughs> to uh, Italy, and then back to uh, the Carolinas there, and so it's going to be a good time. Nice. Only four in the world of those, actually. Only four, four were ever made. So. Have you flown Go all four the, of them already? Oh yeah, absolutely. Very good. I have indeed. Yeah. Nice. That's exciting. We're we're very happy for you. I know we've yeah. been playing around, absolutely. but uh, yeah. that's that's an awesome accomplishment, Rick. And I'd uh, be delighted to fly that yeah. big pig. <laughs> yeah, she's a. I mean, she. I mean, even even the even the Dreamlifter, and and this is this is just a testament to the seven forty seven. Even that, and I'm not I'm not gonna say she's pretty because she, she she's just not. You gotta be you gotta be apparently you know employed by British Airways and like your drink to think that's pretty. Um, <laughs> even the Dreamlifter, yeah, um, even even the Dreamlifter uh, flies up my cruises at about point eight two Mach, and that is uh that is quite the testament to that to that airplane. Um, 747 400 dash eight you know it's it's not unheard of to do um eight five eight six eight seven i've personally taken the 747 the dash 400 to mach 91 between sydney and melbourne one time um i've uh air traffic control said uh give me the best forward speed you're number one in the uh sequence into melbourne it was like how fast can you go i was like i'm like well Point nine one do I'm like yep if, if you can get there you can have it <laughs> so we did nine one from Sydney to uh, Melbourne and uh, yeah landed no problem and so uh, she's uh, she's something else that jet I tell you she's uh, she's a fun jet to fly well I hear the reason why the uh, Dreamlifter flies so fast is they don't want to like expose it to too many people you know they want but avert their eyes actually the though, is well when you compare that to the what is it the Beluga I think that's yeah. that it is pretty compared to the Beluga. <laughs> 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 that boss made it smile. Yes, yes. Well, they had to do something to it. <laughs> and that's about all yeah, they, they did. Yeah. <laughs> and they say you can't put lipstick on a pig. Oh, they you tried. can. They tried. <laughs> <laughs> you can. <laughs> oh, my. Well, that's uh, anything else uh, going on with you, Rick, besides that great news that you're going to be uh, uh, no, just, uh, just just happy, happy to be back and happy to see you guys. It's always, uh, oh, always, yeah, always a treat to, uh, to, to be, uh, to be with you guys as always. So. You know, I should, uh, let Enough everybody, about me. Let, let everybody know that, uh, even if, when Rick cannot make it on the show, we're still in contact with him on the cruise. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's all good. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see, Steph, I want to talk mm. to you about your yeah. conference, uh, last week. Yeah. Supposedly your excuse yeah. for not being here. Allegedly. Yeah. I actually gave a talk at the conference this year. Did you? That was, yeah. And I what was it about? I'm sure it was fascinating. Would, uh, it was super fascinating. It was a presentation of one of the papers that was deemed important from 2022 and specifically mine was about how spinal corticosteroid injections do not increase the risk for influenza for contracting <laughs> influenza was that something that the people were concerned were they concerned about that i well, knew it i knew it there's there's some uh, 
There's some applications beyond that where some of that data had been used for more recently, people being worried about COVID and steroids and vaccines and how does that all kind of tie together. So uh, this was some more recent research, although completed pre-COVID, but everyone's making inferences based on other things that we may or may not know. So that's why it was important. Oh, okay. But it was it was only 10-ish minutes, so it wasn't so Wasn't people taxing, get out there. If you need a spinal cord injection, don't worry about the flu. No. Thing. Don't get a spinal cord injection. That would be bad. Oh, what is it you but said? A spinal corticosteroid injection. That's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good job you're Fair not enough. a doctor. It really is a good Ooh. job that I'm not. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, you know, legit, I think I sent a picture of my uh, badge to you guys and it said, uh, what did it say on it? Uh, faculty. So yeah. Yeah, faculty at the spine. Well, I didn't know whether that was a qualification or an inference to your medical uh, ability. Hmm. I didn't say lack of faculty. (laughs) (laughs) So I would imagine you probably didn't have much time to really get away from wherever the conference was being held and actually get out there. No, I was was where the conference was the whole time, um, which happened to be in the mountains in Utah. But you stayed in the building, like the... Close. She said she only had ten minutes to talk because that's how long the little gondola ride. Was from the <laughs> yeah, and it, I mean it was a small, <laughs> small, small <laughs> audience of four. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I, I made a PowerPoint presentation. And they told me to forget about it, or I could just show it on my phone. Actually, I know we joke yeah. about it all the time, but I've said this before, and I'll, I'll reiterate it from this year. But this conference is great. I really learn a whole lot from it every year, and it's good to network and see people that are in yeah. my field and coworkers and, and coworkers. So, <laughs> so Steph, yes. did you um, see the comment from uh, Nigel? I, I did. Read Conference it, please. Speech. Moguls. Yeehaw! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so this was in, this was in Utah. Um, and a lot of reasons, other reasons why I like this conference too. It does uh, cater to those of us in our profession who enjoy skiing. So they build the conference around uh, the operational hours of the chairlifts at uh, the ski resort. So that's very nice. But it means long days. So we start at 7 a.m. We go through about 10.30 in the morning with conferences and lectures. Um, then we adjourn until about 4 p.m. Convenient. And then we go through 7.30 p.m. or so. So you're basically nonstop all day long. Um, a lot of my family lives out there, all of my siblings, so that makes for additional longer days because it's nice to try and find time to meet up with them. Sometimes they're able to come up and join me for some skiing during the middle of the day, but more often than not, we meet up in the evening and have dinner and drinks and social time. So I was going to say, please good. tell me that you had some hot tub time with some hot toddies. You know, I did not oh. uh, go to the hot tub once. Oh, but okay. I will say, so a couple of things, though. Yeah, this I, did, a, I didn't make really it nice this year. I'm sorry. <laughs> he was invited. Um, so the uh, <laughs> a couple of things I have on my list to talk about. So it's aviation show. Let's, let's introduce some aviation to this. Um, if we must. Man, still not, still not the biggest fan of uh, – the new Salt Lake City Airport is very nice. Um, at least now they acknowledge the amount of walking that one must do at the Salt Lake airport uh from your gate to basically anywhere uh out to get your bags to ground transportation um so there's a a lot of the gates are uh under uh, on the other side of a tunnel so you go underneath the tunnel through the taxi area um gate area and come up on the other side where conveniently all of the or the vast majority of the acme gates do not require a very long walk unfortunately i did not fly with acme 
So I had a long walk. I guess that's punishment of, of sorts. But they very cleverly now put up um, some posters uh, advertising uh, phase two of the new airport, um, some expansion stuff that's going to be happening that will cut down on some of that walk time. Um, but the sign said something like, uh, doctors recommend 10,000 steps a day. We're just doing our part to make sure you stay healthy and uh, <laughs> consider it cross-training for ski season. So thanks, yeah, Salt Lake, really for, for acknowledging They're just that. thinking about you. Um, yeah, exactly. No, they're not. Um, had a uh, the first couple of days were cold, like very, very cold. Some of the coldest skiing I've done out there. I think so these are Fahrenheit temperatures. I'm sorry, Nick. I have no idea what this is in Celsius. Um, I'll do the conversion. The first morning I woke up and it was like minus two. Yeah, that's and then cold. The second day, minus Tuesday 20. was minus seven. What'd you say, Liz? And then it warmed up into minus the, nineteen, minus twenty. Oh, this is nineteen, twenty degrees. Below minus. minus. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say you're actually getting. Celsius. You're actually getting. Oh, Celsius. Yeah, I'm going from. Oh, where they, they, they merge again? Yeah. yeah. Merge. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, so seven. So, so okay. Yeah, that's oh, cold. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Liz that's is saying, right. Um, yeah. to be exact, it's like really cold. Yeah, it's really cold. Um, <laughs> but still managed to get out there totally. most of the day. Monday, Tuesday, it had snowed all week the week before, and then we just had these beautiful bluebird, you know, not a cloud in the sky, classic Utah ski days with lots of snow and it was just really pretty um despite being a little cold but you know that's what god made beer for and um the bar that's what so they made it take for? a break oh. middle of the day oh yeah you warm up and then you go back out um that was not on the conference days by the way that was <laughs> two days sure. of non-conference skiing and then um man i had a really 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 uh, nice uh like airbnb cabin that i rented for the first couple nights um not at the conference um, I was going to cool. say, you had a hotel room and you rented a cabin. Well, I had a hotel room for the conference, which started on Wednesday, but I was out there Monday, Tuesday as well. Um, so this cabin was super cool. It had um, I, the bathroom that was in it, I really just want in my house. It had this like dual overhead rain shower thing with jets in the wall that squirted at you. It had a dry sauna and a jetted tub and heated floors. Yeah, and, oh, I could mm. probably live in that thing. Um, <laughs> and then uh, my my drive up to that cabin though the first night it had snowed that night and was snowing actually when we arrived in salt lake city um i haven't driven like in the snow snow in a long time but that all went well it was snow packed all the way up the canyon from salt lake um and what else oh so on my way back i did make a little detour through the chicago area to meet up with friends and i was boarding a flight in at o'hare on sunday night sunday evening is that right? I can't remember what day it I think so. is or was. I think it was Sunday because I, I texted Jeff immediately. So I, I got on the airplane and it was a United flight and the gate agent kind of called out to me like, but he, he used my last name. Not my, I don't know if that was because he knew who I was or was relaying a message or I'm not sure. It was kind of farther away and helping other people and it was kind of in the middle of boarding and everything. So I didn't get a chance to ask any details, but he just said, oh, make sure to say hi to Captain Jeff. I said, okay. So, I don't know who it was. <laughs> United Gate agent. Uh, thanks. I passed the message along. Yeah. Go. Well, hey, so. hello, gate agent in Chicago. <laughs> Whoever you are, like, make yourself known Whoever and send us some feedback. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Um, but I think that's about it for, for conference week. Um, we did have some other meetup stuff to talk about, but I'll wait until we get to Jeff's meetup. Part of that. Time. Okay. Meetup. Meetup. Very good. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jeff. Great to yeah. 
have you back on I again. missed you guys. We missed you. Last Thank week. you. So glad we can all be together this week. Me too. Um, Camacho, why don't we go to you next? And then if you need to leave us, uh, you can do that. Yeah. Uh, not a ton from me. Uh, I did uh, spend some time yesterday with my son's class. We went to the... Uh, they had a field trip to the Kansas Aviation How Museum. did they get that airplane so, behind the... Well, it's the pillars. Uh, have you never seen the ship in the bottle? Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. They built the airplane in Wichita. Turns out they built the building in Wichita, too. So it was pretty um, convenient. <laughs> convenient. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So we went and visited man, the Kansas Aviation you. Museum. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a neat museum. It kind of focuses. It has, like I would say, its primary focus is more on... Uh, like aviation industry in Wichita rather than just the airplanes. So they, they do have a lot of um, old airplanes from the early years of uh, the aviation industry in Wichita. Uh, Ken and I are standing in front of a steerman in this picture here. Nice. They also have a little, um, on a little learning center area um, where they have a bunch of simulators and they have some, you know, uh, external um displays of how controls work with control cables and propellers and stuff like that and so uh, the kids obviously had fun playing the flight simulators and then uh there's a picture of a beach stagger wing nice um, so we had uh we had a good time it was a little chilly to walk around the ramp uh where they do have a few more modern airplanes um I did avoid my usual little shtick of sending uh, pictures to all the crew members of airplanes that they've flown that are now museum pieces. Um, yeah, that's I really felt kind of bad because there were. I felt kind of bad because there were only Captain Jeff airplanes. There were no <laughs> Captain Nick airplanes. Um, there's a, FedEx, a Phantom. There's a FedEx seven twenty seven and a uh, Tweet. So, nope, not a no Phantom. No. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Every airplane yeah, that I've flown, I think, has, has been retired. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say um, before you continue that this photo, I, I must say, is quite staggering. Okay, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I'm like Elmer Fudd. Uh, same thing. Yeah. Hey, I love a good dad joke. It's uh, I'm right there with you, Jeff. <laughs> hey, I'm a dad. Not I'm, even I, a I good can do one. that. <laughs> what color is the wind? <laughs> what color is the wind? I don't know. Blue. Uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. So I love it. Yeah, we. Uh, it, it was a fun trip. Uh, I will say, my son, who's currently enamored with the jet age of aviation and Top Gun and all those sort of things, um, I F eighteen baby. Yeah, he. Uh, I think he would have had uh, a little more excitement to see some uh, jet fighters. The closest thing we came to were the tweet. And uh, they had a the Cessna version of the JPATS, the what is now the T six two, which the, it was like a Citation. It's like a two seat front and aft kind of Citation looking airplane. So, um, it was a little lacking in that in that regard. But uh, he did have a lot of fun. It's in the the museum was actually in the original terminal for the first Wichita Airport, which was the Wichita Municipal Airport, which then became uh, McConnell Air Force Base. 
and so it's it's actually kind of cordoned off from the Air Force Base, but it's on a it's on a corner of the Air Force Base here in Wichita. So, well, that's where they, uh, uh, the the um, the 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 Dreamlifter uh, landed. Oh no, that no, that was it's where it usually lands. It's not where it always <laughs> lands. It's just where it usually lands in Wichita. Hey, Sorry. it only happened <laughs> once. I know. Like, come on, not a high percentage. <laughs> not one time, guy retired. <laughs> He dropped the mic on that one. Just fly the MILS. <laughs> Come on. Uh, yeah. Take that. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Oh, man. You, you know what? The crazy thing about that deal to me is that there's like three airports lined up. He didn't even land at the closest one to McConnell. He landed at Jabara, <laughs> which is there's like another airport between him and McConnell. But anyway. Uh, yeah. So we uh, did see uh, when we were up in the. I did. I should have sent you. Well, I, I texted you guys that picture. I should have added the picture. Uh, Adjacent to the Air, Kansas Air Museum is Spirit Aero Systems, which is where they build uh, the 737 fuselages. Um, and so there is a ramp full of wingless and tailless 737 fuselages getting ready to hop on a train up to uh That's the Washington best kind State. of 737 there is, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> so I sent Nick a, sent Nick, Nick a text saying, hey, it's your worst nightmare. There's a factory churning out Boeings here in Wichita. <laughs> well, it's as long as they don't stick wings on them, they'll be fine. <laughs> I think you did send that to here. Let's see if I can go ahead. Keep talking. Uh, the only other little tidbit of news I have, which is actually incredibly exciting for me, is um, uh, I'm going out to, it sounds like I'm probably going out to uh, California late next week or the following week for work. Um, but the exciting part is I started looking for flights and it appears that they have upgraded yeah. the trip from, uh, Denver to slow from CRJ 200s to Embraer 175s. Oh, wow. So, uh, Ooh. yeah, now we're cooking. Incredibly happy about big that. Upgrade. <laughs> yeah, it is a big upgrade. At least the window is a big upgrade. Look at all those no, drinking like straws. I can't imagine a bigger upgrade than CRJ 200 to literally any other airplane in a operational airline fleet. <laughs> yep. So there are the, uh, there are the, uh, baby Boeings getting ready to like little tattoos, their maturation in yeah, Washington exactly. state. Yep. Their eyes haven't even opened yet. <laughs> yeah, they don't, their eyes haven't even opened yet. That's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Let me make sure I remove the right. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Captain Nick, are you? Captain next? Nick. Oh, does no? Just say, does does Nick? Uh, nothing happened go? this week, and then nothing happened. Oh, was there anything took, else, took, uh, uh, Camacho? I'm sorry, uh, that you wanted to say. I don't think so. I okay. was just looking in the chat, and Maine Marin, is it still okay to say Steerman? Uh, I was trying to figure that out. Oh, Liz said it's Steer Missions, obviously. Oh, they <laughs> kept oh. Yeah. that's a good point. Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt, uh, Captain yeah, Nixer. Does, does, does Camacho? Do you need to? Uh, oh, no, 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 hang on, I'm interrupting again. Shut up. Um, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I meant that in the nicest way possible. Uh, Nick Camacho, I know you uh, have a tight schedule and you need to spend time with your family. You want to go ahead and leave or you want to hang around? Yeah, I probably need to uh, okay. bail out and finish a couple things up. All right. Very good. Well, great good to, to have you everybody. on with us. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to catch evening. up with you. And uh, we'll see you again next time.
All right. Sounds good. See you guys. Bye. Bye. All right. Okay. Now, now if we must, we'll hear from Captain. Nick. No, I'm just kidding. Captain Nick. Well, it's going to be very sh- quick and dirty, really. Uh, no, just uh, played a bit of bowls and uh, we de-iced the cars many times because it's a bit cold and frosty and a bit foggy at the moment. But um, we had one nice day. I took uh, a video of the dog. Wow. The dog. <laughs> okay, I'm going to turn the volume down a little bit. That's right. All right. Wow, look at this. That was a surprise. Wasn't expecting this. Wow. Super slow mode. There we go. That's Zeta. That's Zeta, yeah. That's that's the new Woof. And this is this uh, the new uh, camera with a super fancy super slow mo or something? Uh, Well, it does 4K at 60 frames a second, so it does pretty good uh, slow mo if you want it to. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Well, I'm, I'm glad it wasn't me. I thought I had accidentally hit something. <laughs> what is that? What's that going on? I don't understand. He didn't tell me he was going to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning about it. I've never been one uh, much for video, even though I've got some cameras uh, for years that have been capable of very good quality video. I've never really bothered. But uh, having this sort of pocket-sized one is very good. So uh, I'm nice. enjoying messing about with it. Yeah. Do you want That's to... Uh, all right, so let's uh, talk about last episode's cover art. Oh, right. Hogs, dogs, and logs. Yeah. Uh, um, we, we, it was uh, Groundhog Day, so they were the hogs. Oh, yeah, okay. And I'm not quite sure what the dogs were now. Anyone Prairie remember? dogs, because you had that thing behind you that was not a groundhog. Oh, well, that's, you see, I thought that was a groundhog, but it turned out it was a prairie dog. Uh, and um, the log, we had a, I, I produced a crew log, didn't I? So that yes. was the log. Anyway, so yeah. that was a, a rather poetic version. Oh, of, that was a beautiful uh, picture. Hogs, I dogs, think. and logs. Yeah. And that's Captain Jeff under his umbrella. Huh? He needs a big umbrella. Oh, that's me, huh? Okay. Apparently. <laughs> I had to turn your feet round. Because uh, you're facing you? the wrong way. Oh, yeah. sorry. Well, I do that a lot. Yeah, I know. Get lots of pictures of pilots looking towards you. Not many of them looking away from you. Hmm. I don't know what you're looking at. I'm looking at the sunset because that's uh, where I'm heading soon. Oh, that must be it. Yeah. Retirement. Yes. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. And I noticed the uh, groundhogs doing a bit of um, podcasting, which is quite good. (laughs) Very appropriate. Anyway, that was a bit of fun, wasn't it? Yeah. I love it. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Okay. Uh, anything else? Nope. All right. Uh, is it my turn now? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Must be. Uh, let's see. I have to go and look at the uh, notes here. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. I just did a three-day trip. This week is uh, every day of the week I'm flying airplanes. Uh, so we started on Monday through Wednesday. I flew a three-day trip. Uh, it was a very easy trip. It was one leg to Charlotte Your, your the Monday day. was... Crazy, exhausting. But it was a great day. It was a busy day for me, although Mm -hmm. the actual professional flying part of it was very, very uh, limited. Yeah, light for sure. Uh, Just uh, one leg from Atlanta to Charlotte. The next day um, through Minneapolis uh, to Omaha. Got in before noon there. And then this morning, just one leg back from Omaha to Atlanta. So it was very nice. Now, going back out again uh, tomorrow... 
on a two-day trip, uh, go to Huntsville and back, and then to Jackson. Might be flying through a little bit of rain and stuff, but it shouldn't be too bad. And, um, yeah, so uh, back on Friday morning. And uh, so... Uh, I just I just want to know what Captain Nick is chewing on there. It sounds I, very like... Oh, I'm sorry. I've got out of sync with my mind. <laughs> nuts? So, <laughs> you chewing on nuts? Very much like, I'm you know, chewing, like if you watch a commercial um, for something and it's like a uh, very exaggerated crisp noise for whatever the product is. Ah, pork, pork crackling? Pork oh, pork rinds yeah. or whatever we call them. Pork, yeah, yeah, you pork probably would have called it something weird. Yeah. Oh, that's what we do. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeehaw! So uh, I thought it was uh, Liz because sometimes Liz will <laughs> have a snack. And yeah, uh, so I wasn't seeing guilty. this, no, but it was actually no, Nick. So that's a surprise. No, not, not guilty. Not guilty this time. Yep. Uh, anyway, uh, so my nice easy leg from Atlanta to Charlotte uh, meant that I got in very early and I uh, thought, you know, this would be a, a nice opportunity to have some sort of a meetup in Charlotte uh, because you I know some people there. In the day well, I did, Liz, but uh, okay. let me All tell right. you. So, uh, yeah, so that was the uh, plan to do a, a meetup in the afternoon, you know, four to six o'clock ish. And uh, I contacted Armando, who is the uh, co host, uh, one of the co hosts of the Plain Talking UK podcast. And I asked him if he'd be available to come to our little meetup. And he said, well, no, but um, I'm available for lunch. So uh, are you up for some lunch and some airplanes? And I went, "Uh, yeah, who wouldn't be? So I was picked up by Armando at the hotel. And he drove me out to his house. And we picked up his lovely wife, Megan. And uh, she joined us for uh, some barbecue. Uh, Brent was invited, but he said he had things to do, so right. he missed the nice barbecue lunch. And then uh, we uh, took Megan back to her house because she had a meeting that she had to attend. And then Armando and I headed back up to the north towards Salisbury, um, not Maryland, but North Carolina. Mid-Carolina. Mid-Carolina Airport, yes, uh, where he... Uh, there's a hangar there, and uh, he wanted to show me a very special airplane that he owns, a super c- And so we were looking at it, and I think there was supposed to be a Pilatus in the hangar as well he was going to show me, but it wasn't there. And then he said, you know, it's a beautiful day, Jeff. Why don't we go flying? I went, okay. And so that's what we did. And I have some video. What do you want to say to your, uh, your loyal followers? Oh, hello, everybody. <laughs> Here with uh, Armando. Uh, this is his super, which is uh, just a beautiful, beautiful airplane. 1949. 46. 46. That was before I was born, believe it or not. Believe it or not. I know. Yeah, this is so much fun. We're flying over Lake Norman. Uh, I'm here on the layover, and uh, in uh, you know, just under two hours, we're supposed to start a uh, little meetup. And uh, but. This is what Jeff does before all the meetups. Yeah, well, actually, this is the first time I've ever done this. It's been, I don't know, probably, oh, 30, 40 years since I've been in a tail dragger. Or, uh, I've been in a GA airplane a few times since then, but... Uh, what, uh, what does it feel like to use a rudder again? Oh, it's like, I, I, I'm actually forgetting to use it. <laughs> I don't have a... 
Yeah, I, I can tell. I don't have the, hey, <laughs> I don't have the slip indicator in front of me, so I'm just trying to sense if I'm in a coordinated turn. I can't tell. Is this coordinated? Uh, yeah, it's pretty good right there. Okay. Um, Look at that. Standard rate turn, <laughs> coordinated. Looks like he does what he's doing. And I'm barely pressing down on the rudder. I was expecting to really have my foot in it. But uh, I don't. Uh, this is this is real flying, folks, and uh, that's why I was so thrilled when Armando said, "Hey, I, I thought he was just going to show me the airplane. I didn't know he, he was going to take it for a spin, so to speak. We're not going to spin." Well, yeah, the weather is beautiful. We couldn't we couldn't pass this up. It's a yeah. beautiful, clear day here in Charlotte. Yeah. So Armando, I'm sure everybody that watches our show, the Airline Pilot Guy show, know and heard, have heard us talk about Armando, but. He's one of the hosts of the Plane uh, Talking UK podcast. The best one, of course, because he's uh, from the United States. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, oh, we do joke that it is a Plane Talking US podcast because uh, 50, 51% of our listeners are actually in the US. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, the United States makes up the bulk of podcast listeners. <laughs> yeah. But anyway... Uh, so, man, I'm so, thank you, man, for uh, letting me come up and fly your airplane. Absolutely, you're doing a great job. I'm completely hands-off. He is, uh, he is flying by the seat of his pants. I am, literally. And I, I really, so Armando is blocking completely the instrument panel, so every once in a while you'll, you'll see me, uh, I guess I climbed a couple hundred feet. Um, Let's go that way. Go that way, okay. Here we go, we're going to go this way, and I'm trying to do it coordinated. Yeah, I'm gonna descend a little bit. That's pretty good right there. You do have one tower there, but okay, I see it. Move around it. Okay, I promise I won't hit it. It's <laughs> too much paperwork. I don't want to deal with it today. <laughs> yeah, it might not be a good experience. Well, we're doing great. We'll uh, check back in with everybody once we get on the ground. All right. Well, thanks, Armando. Always. Well, all right. We survived. We did. Despite two landings. Uh, intended intended one landing, but we got two out of it. It was it was a great landing, man. <laughs> the wind conditions here were very squirrely and gusting to 18 knots. So I'm impressed. <laughs> this guy's a good pilot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It uh, when we took off, it was winds calm, and when we landed, it was uh, a direct crosswind at 11 gusting to 18, which is always fun in a tail dragger. But yeah. Jeff did great. All right, everybody take care. For an old man. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That's, well, I'm jealous because I don't live that far away from Armando and I have yet to uh, go flying in his well, he loves me more than beautiful he airplane. You, obviously. I know, it's obvious. Okay. <laughs> I, can, I can deal with it. No, he just felt sorry for me. Yeah. You know, he, like, uh, I'm just kind of a, a challenged person, so he felt sorry for me. And uh, took me up. An element of pity. Yeah. But you know what's funny about that is that he after the video was taken, so we were doing some things. He goes, okay, do this. You know, like go into like this amount of bank and put the nose up 10 degrees, you know. And, and so I'm flying this thing like I've flown airplanes for the last three decades. And, you know, I'm used to 1G flight. And then I do all these things. I don't know what he's actually asking me to do. And then and it wasn't until he took the controls and started doing some stuff and actually pulling some Gs. I went, oh. And then he mentioned, he said, like a modified 
Cubanator or something like that. I went, oh, well, if you had told me what you wanted me to do, I would have done that. But And then again, the, the thing, I guess I'm just so spring-loaded that as soon as I start feeling G's, I back off because I am so used to the world of you know, one to 1.2 G flight that anything more than that is because you're just, taking such good care of your flying uh, customers. Yeah. The customers. The and then also, you know, I'm not sure what this airplane is capable. I said, well, how many G's can I pull on this thing? And he said, I think it's rated to like four and a half or something like that. I went, Oh, okay. <laughs> so I started flying again. I went, okay, I can pull G's on this thing. And I did not pass out or have tunnel vision or anything. I had a little diarrhea, but we cleaned that up, and that nope. uh, was <laughs> that was after the landing. Yeah, yeah, after his landing. Wow, I was actually it was. A <laughs> did little, you spill your coffee? Yeah, no, I didn't have any coffee, but uh, I did. I did barf a, a couple of times, and uh, but it, it the it was not it was easy to, easy to clean up. Yeah, no, just kidding. It was. Uh, I did not get sick. I didn't even. I, I just felt so. It felt so natural, and it was just a as I mentioned before. That's real flying. That's just like you could feel. Every little the wind hitting you, like a little gust of wind, was like really affected Whoa. the uh, the airplane. You had to go, whoop, okay, wings level back again. Uh, Did but you make it back in time for your meetup. We made it back in time for our meetup, Liz. Yes, uh, but uh, anyway, that that was the highlight of my day. Uh, was the uh, flying in that super? That was a lot of fun. Thank you, Armando, for uh, for taking me. There. And by the way, as I mentioned. Uh, the winds were a little bit of a challenge for um, that kind of airplane. And uh, I, so I noticed that when I, I actually had to go out to my car, I think around the time that and you guys were out flying, mm-hmm. I was grabbing my uh, bottle of water and I stepped outside and went, hmm, it's kind of a little gusty right now. Okay. But you know, in, in, in my frame of reference, <laughs> but, but, it was like nothing, but I, because my frame of reference is a completely different frame of reference but an airplane like that is so affected by winds or it, it just and he, he said okay we're gonna we're gonna give it a try and it's if, if it doesn't work out i don't i'm not comfortable with it then we'll go somewhere else and we'll uber back here and i went oh okay cool so uh, armando's and very steph's version of sympathy yeah it is well st- it's a bit gusty it's a bit gusty okay. <laughs> but anyway he well, came uh, no 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 i say this no because i've I have flown with Armando and have complete faith in his skill oh, yeah. as a pilot. I never worried about a thing. GA aircraft and his tailwheel uh, abilities. So, yeah, yeah. I was and that's worried. and you know, flying a tailwheel is just completely foreign. You know, it's just, huh? That just doesn't make any sense at all to me. But it was he did a great job and uh, lining was great and uh, so he took he drove me back down to actually we stopped. On the way back to uh, South Park, which was uh, an area of Charlotte, uh, at another airport, the Concord Airport, where there's a hangar there, and then that's where he flies out for um, his his job, which is uh, flying Hawkers uh, mostly. Uh, the PC twelve uh, Pilatus he does as well, but I think he's kind of trying to transition away from that and fly mostly the jets. Um, and uh, got a tour of one of the jets, and it's very very nice. A really uh, advanced cockpit and uh, really, really good, uh, good stuff. Beautiful airplane, and uh, so we went by all these NASCAR hangars like Gibbs Racing and Roush Fenway. They're, and they're all based others. there. Yeah, they're all yeah. based there. Because right, uh, literally across the street from that airport is the Charlotte uh, Speedway Motor Speedway. What do they call it? Is that it? It's fun flying there, Charlotte Motor Speedway. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, anyway, so. Uh, 
very, very nice uh, time with Armando. And he took me back to uh, the area where the hotel was. We went over to a place called Paco's Tacos and Tequila. And we had a little meetup there. And So you had sushi? Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. Um, Excellent. No. Uh, let's see. Oh, okay. Again. They actually only have tacos and tequila. That's all you can get. Nothing That's else. it. So Brent went to dinner with you. He didn't go to lunch. But he yeah, went. but Brent did join <laughs> us at this, uh, this meetup. And I'm going to play. No, I'm not going to play a video file. That's the picture that you have up. Thank you, Liz. And I'm going to play some audio. Here we go. Hello, audience. <laughs> we are. That's nah, not a good way to start this, is it? Hey, everybody. We're in Charlotte, North Carolina at Paco's Tacos and Tequila. Uh, we have enjoyed some tacos here so far. Uh, no tequila, and I'll probably stay away from that. Just a couple of beers. Anyway, I'm here with some great friends, uh, members of our community Coffee Fun Cadre members, coffee bar, coffee bar Club members as well, and my first officer, Brent. And we are uh, enjoying a nice little gathering and dinner, and uh, I'm going to do the thing with the microphone and hand it around to people, and they're going to talk, and they're going to say really interesting things and funny things. I mean, you're going to be on the floor rolling over with laughter. I, trust me. Watch. Or just here. Listen. Here we go. We're going to start with Carrie. Here you go, Carrie. Carrie Kenner, just uh, enjoying a couple of beers with Jeff and Brent and the gang here. And uh, just want to say thank you. Hey, everyone. The uh, Sultan of Wings here uh, with uh, Dr. Steph, Jeff, Brent, and Carrie having a great time at the restaurant. This is great to get to see everyone and meet them face to face. Uh, Jeff just wanted me to reiterate uh, what a kind, caring, gracious man he is and that he's even better looking in person than on the podcast. Um, <laughs> that probably will not be edited in post. But <laughs> but seriously, having a great time with everyone, it's always good to get together. Here's Dr. Steph. Hey, everybody. So Captain Jeff promised you something funny, and uh, Brad's comments were uh, quite funny. humorous. <laughs> I was wondering what witty things I would have to say, but he took care of it for us, so it's all good. Now, we're here having a great time, and, uh, you know, thinking of you all, we're having a couple beers and uh, some some tacos and definitely no tequila because we can't hang with tequila because we're old. So um, early mornings, early mornings all around. But we, uh, it's nice to have these meetups again, and I'm, I'm glad we're all out here enjoying each other's company. So it's great to see you all, and thanks for coming out tonight. 20 minutes. You set me up for it, huh? Hello, everyone. This is Brent, and it's nice to meet Brad and Carrie. Nice to see Dr. Steph again. It's been a little while. We are uh, eating some of this uh, Tex-Mex barbecue. It's kind of strange. Enchiladas. Jeff texted me very early this morning when I was barely awake, and he asked if I knew any barbecue places in the area. And I ignored his text message for a minute. And then I said I would get back to him. And I did not get back to him. And he said we were just coming here. So it's been good. I'm glad you decided on this. I lost my train of thought. (laughs) Definitely been good. 
but uh, hope everyone uh, enjoys the uh, laughter that was uh, brought about by everyone else besides me here. But uh, again, it's good to meet uh, Carrie and Brad, and uh, here it is back to Jeff. Trust me, Brent, we are laughing at you right now. Not with you, but at you. No, uh, uh, you're awesome, uh, and I, I so enjoy, everybody knows that, I enjoy flying with Brent. And uh, we get to go to recurrent training next week. Yeah, that, that localizer that was so functional today, too, right? Well, we don't want to talk about that at the moment. Not We're, we're not going to record that or say anything about that on the show. But, uh, yeah, that was interesting, our, our arrival into uh, Charlotte this morning. But... Um, Anyway, had a great day today. Um, I think that perhaps you've already seen the video that was taken uh, with Armando in uh, his Super Cub. Or maybe if you haven't seen that yet or heard it, um, you might now soon see it or hear it. But anyway, um, yeah. And as I mentioned, uh, as I speak right now, which is uh, Monday the 6th of February, uh, recurrent training with Brent's next week, but by the time you're hearing this, I'm sure that it's probably the, the week of our recurrent training. So, hey, say a prayer for us, and uh, or at least have us in your thoughts while we have this fun experience in the box. Anyway, um, that's about all I can think of right now. We're having a great time. Had a great time with Armando today, uh, flying in the Super and also being here with this amazing group of people that uh, are just a little sliver and, and a great representative of our APG community. So that's it from me. Back to you in the studio. All right. Thank you. Um, yeah. So uh, the two community members there, uh, I should mention, are both executive producers. So, But you don't have to be an executive producer to, uh, very nice, very to, nice. to show up at these Come meetups. Uh, but yeah, uh, many things. Mm-hmm. No admission yeah. is charged. Hey, was it was that a uh, was that a uh, a Southwest seven three taken off front of you before you landed there with a localizer issue? Or, uh... <laughs> I think so. It must have been their fault. <laughs> uh, okay, I gotcha. I'm just, just inquiring minds. I, I don't know. really want to talk about it. <laughs> I'll talk to you about it on, <laughs> in private. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe after yeah, I retire, we'll talk about it. <laughs> Yes, Liz. Oh, okay. That's a good idea. Let's do. Let's talk about some coffee. Uh, here we go. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. <laughs> coffee and tea. And the Java and me, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Ah, everybody bailed on me again. Okay, the coffee fun. It's your way to be able to be invited to these meetups that we have. No, you don't have to be part of the coffee fun, uh, cadre. But you, uh, if you'd like to, if you have some extra shekels in your pocket and uh, you want to support us, please consider it. And you can learn about that by going to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. I should tell you that there are two ways to do it. One is uh, the coffee fund uh, classic method, uh, mainly for one-off contributions. 
and uh, our good friend and uh, very generous contributor, Mazus Karim, over there in the UK, uh, came in again uh, with a nice contribution. Thank you, Mazus. We do appreciate that. He's out there supporting great aviation podcasts out there, so we do appreciate you. And uh, the other thing to do is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. And I'm going to make sure that because I don't think we actually did this in the past. So I do apologize to Brad, the Sultan of Wings, who is with us in our live audience. And uh, he went from uh, producer to executive producer. And so, yeah, that's uh, awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Bradley, for doing that. There's our, our round of applause. Our, our crew is uh, coming in and, and and just clapping and making it a big deal. In fact, you know, I think this deserves a noisemaker action. Okay. And a yeehaw. Uh, ye- oh, yeah, yeehaw, yeah. Yeehaw! There we go. Thank you, Brad. Uh, we do appreciate your uh, generous um, support of our show. And uh, it was nice seeing you again at uh, Paco's Tacos just a couple of days ago. I guess that was just, uh, that was, yeah, Monday. All right. That was um, two days ago. Yeah, two days ago. Mm-hmm. I, I can't keep track of anything anymore. You know that. It's all a blur. It is. It really is. <laughs> Sadly. You need to go to the bathroom. Um, yeah, oh, oh, go ahead, Liz. If you need to go to the bathroom, go ahead. I don't need to go. Oh, you don't need to go. Or uh, you're asking me if I need to go? Yeah. No, I think I already went. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. Um, just Let's get some feedback done. <laughs> this stuff's been waiting for Rick for months. Okay, we need to do some feedback because a lot of this stuff was directed toward our good friend Miami Rick. And uh, since he's here with us, we're going to go ahead and take advantage of that. So here we go. Here's the feedback bumper. Captain, incoming message. All righty. Uh, let's see. The first item that we're going to do is for 3B. It's some audio feedback from JJ, not Pittsburgh. And so here we go. Hey there, Captain Jeff and rest of the APG crew. Uh, this is JJ, not Pittsburgh from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Just wanted to send in some audio feedback and uh update you all on what's been going on here i just i just passed my single engine commercial check ride and so now i am uh just on that on that race to the uh the magical 1500 hours as uh, many other people are right now i had a quick question uh, i guess it'd probably pertain more to um captain rick um what what all different kinds of things did did uh, did you do to build your time uh, to get uh, where you are now? I know a couple of you guys were in the military and <clears throat> others are doing other things, but I just wanted to ask Captain Rick because I know he he had some he had a similar experience to what I've got going on, and just wanted to see what uh, maybe pick his brain for a minute. All right, thanks. Clear skies ahead. Thank you very much, JJ, not Pittsburgh. And uh, here's Rick to answer your question. Yeah, I think um, out of um, 
Let me think here. So, yeah, because Captain Jeff is military. Captain Nick is military as well. And I think Steph, Nick C., and myself are just came up civilian. Uh, so what did I do after I got uh, done with flight school? Um, well, I um, went back down to Miami, and I instructed at a um, little Part 61 school and then a little Part 141 school down there. Um, and then... Um, that helped uh, because you know when you're down there, um, you get to meet you know meet people and network and um, and and get your name out there. Um, and then you know, obviously you meet people that have airplanes and you know have um, it can offer you um, uh, uh, other opportunities. And so I I, um, I got hooked up with a um, at first this 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 one uh, gentleman who was a um, a regular at uh, the FBO right next door. I knew someone who knew someone who needed uh, airplanes delivered from, um, you know, place to place. And so that was a good um, time building um, experience there. I got to see uh, the um, the U.S. Uh, delivered a couple aircraft from the West Coast to the East Coast. Um, and so I got to do that. Uh, and then uh, I also ended up flying a Cessna 206 for one of my um, for the for the dad of one of my students who I eventually also taught how to fly and got him his uh, his uh, private instrument commercial single uh, rating. Very, very wealthy fellow. Good, good guy where we were good friends to this day. So I used to fly his 206 around and he was, uh, he owned a, no, he still, he still owns a concrete pumping company and a construction company down in the South Florida area. And so, um, flew his 206 around, um, between South Florida, um, the East coast of Florida there, the West coast of Florida up to the panhandle and then over to the Bahamas as well. Cause he was at the time he was starting out, uh, with a project down in Bimini and he also had a, um, uh, a beautiful home there. And so I did that for a while. Um, and then, um, after that, I, um, threw a contact of mine in South America. That's how I ended up flying for, um, for the, uh, Chileans for 13 and a half years. And so, uh, it was, um, one of those uh, lucky breaks where, you know, I was able to go from a Cessna 206 to the right seat of a 767. Um, and so you never know. I mean, um, it's good to it's good to um, you know go out there, instruct, build a network, meet people, talk, and just make yourself available. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight. It, um, it's slow going at first, but then once you become a regular and people know your face and know who you are, um, then things started to happen. Uh, and that's kind of how I did it. You know, a lot of patience, perseverance, and uh, just. Um, enjoy the journey more than anything else. I mean, obviously it's important to keep in mind uh, where you want to be, where you want to end up. Uh, obviously, cause you need that, that, that motivation you need to, um, I remember uh, going through flight school. I had a, a picture of, um, of a 747 cockpit and my, my folder there or whatever. And it's, I would look at that and then I would, you know, just like, you know, someday maybe, you know, if things work out. And so it's important to give yourself that motivation and, um, and also reward yourself, you know, it's, um, cause you put all the hard work in and all the long hours and all that. And so it's also important to, uh, you know, pat yourself in the back every once in that, every once in a while, you know, grab yourself a beer, even if it's by yourself and just, uh, you know, but again, motivation, it's 
steady and more, more, more than everything. Just, just enjoy the ride. Cheers, Rick, to your career. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you. I'm uh, certainly, certainly blessed. Yeah, we all are actually we to have him on the show. Yeah. We're blessed to have you on the show today too. Um, all right. Very good. Um, next let's go to four, four from Sam Bolog. Uh, I have a question probably directed more to Miami Rick. Do you have a different mindset and attitude? <laughs> we could have answered this one. Uh, towards flying freight and passengers separately. At least we know what Rick is going to say. Uh, do you have a, a different mindset and attitude towards flying freight and passengers separately? I'm sure the mechanical process of flying is the same, but is there a different feeling with respect to having hundreds of souls on board as opposed to tons of cargo? I guess what I'm asking is your feeling of responsibility different? Thank you, Sam Bullock. Uh Well, you guys, you guys know... I would how I would answer this, and the the question. I mean, the answer is no. I mean, the the feeling is the same because at the end of the day, uh, it's about you know getting getting home safe, and um, you think about getting home safe whether it's just you and your first officer, or you and your captain, or you, your flight crew, and four hundred and fifty seven people in the back there. So at the end of the day, you fly the aircraft the same way you would, no matter who's in the back because the end, you know, it's, it's you up there and it's about making sure that you get home safe because there's people that are waiting for you. People that love you, people that are looking forward to seeing you again. So, you know, I actually, when I was looking at that, um, it, until I read it, I thought it was going to be more of the, do you prefer flying the boxes over flying passengers? And we know how you feel about that, <laughs> especially when we talk about all those well, that's a, that's a diff- passenger that's a misbehavior. Question. That's a, a completely that's different question. That's an entirely, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Entirely different question. And the answer is I love flying passengers. No, nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> you just need passengers who voluntarily depart the aircraft halfway through. Exactly. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's the best of both worlds. Yeah, you that's, two are that's, that's how, yeah, kind that's, of the same boat. Steffi, Steffi's got the yeah, she's uh, yeah. she's got she's got that uh, that bit of experience that I I don't have. I see my <laughs> usually the, the passengers that get on my flight stay on till I uh, till we till we uh, land in the other end there. But uh, no, I, I I and everybody, this is no secret. I prefer flying freight because if it's just it's a lot more you know laid back in the sense that it's not stuffy it's not about you know it's just like every time you need to get up and go use the restroom it's like you have to you know call the white house and get the nuclear codes <laughs> and all sorts of things because you know, it's just like you have to you know, go through all these procedures and you know whereas you know you just fly you fly freight first thing i do is i get into my hawaiian shirt and um and just uh you know you don't have to worry about uh uh you know protocols that you otherwise would have for everybody if you flew um when you fly um passengers not to say that i don't enjoy flying passengers i do uh the passengers that i get to fly nowadays are very very special passengers indeed because the passenger flying that i do is usually for um our our military so our 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 girls and boys in uniform um so i'm very privileged to do that don't take that um responsibility lightly and in fact i'm very honored to do it when i get to do it but if you ask me, I'll, uh, I'll I'll take freight. Yep. All right. And as as I said, or you said, uh, it doesn't matter whether they have the have the passengers in the back or not, as far as responsibility is concerned. You know, if, I've I've said this so many times. It's like if, as long as I'm 
safe and get myself to where the airplane's going, then everybody in the back should be safe and sound as well. I don't think exactly. the feeling of responsibility is any different if you're the only person on the aircraft, in the aircraft. Yeah. Still mm-hmm. have that responsibility, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah, because you, you spend a lot of time uh, or half the time maybe or maybe a, a, a fraction the of the time by yourself in airplanes, <laughs> Not quite right? half the time. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, knowing you probably maybe it's a little, tenth it's of the time. It's less than half the time, but. Yeah. No, it's a little more than that. A little more? Yeah. Okay. All right. It's been a l- I Maybe a third. I can't remember how long it's been since I've been just by myself in an airplane. I guess it would be back in uh, my pilot training days back in the early 80s. And now I just can't be trusted to be by myself. All right. Um, let's do number five. This is from Kyle, and he uh, sent this to us on our Facebook page. Best way to do that, by the way. I mean, occasionally we'll see something like this on Facebook, but if you want us to send a, a send some feedback to us, uh, the best way is to send it to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Yes, you're welcome, Liz. <laughs> uh, but, you know, every once in a while we might catch it, and uh, we happened to, or Liz uh, caught this, and uh, Kyle sent this question and didn't know this about the 747-400. I was wondering if Captain Rick could shed some light on this. Uh and then he says, plus he's wearing an oxygen mask. And I was wondering what that was for. Thanks and keep up the great work. Okay, so what is he talking about? Well, let's uh, play it right now. Okay, so we're looking at the inside of a 747 cockpit. And I've taken some video here of the panel, and it says they're at 45,000 feet. And the captain at the controls here is wearing a full-face oxygen mask. And uh, the Instagram uh, says, uh, this is from Captain Silver 747. He said, the Boeing 747-400 is the only heavy, wide-body aircraft that can get up to 45,000 feet. No other aircraft can fly that high, weighing this much. Not even the newer 747-8 version. The most amazing aircraft ever made. And then he said, uh, the oxygen mask at this altitude is required by federal regulations, FAR 121.333C, when only one of the pilots is left at the controls. The co-pilot was coming back from the restroom when I started recording. It can also be used at own discretion anytime at any altitude. Now, it used to be above, I think it was above 25,000 feet, uh, we were required to do the same thing. If somebody had to go leave the cockpit, mm-hmm. there was only two of you, you'd have to you know, hang the mask or you know, wear the full uh, oxygen mask the entire time. Uh, they just changed that rule not long ago, where I think it, now it's a... Above 41,000 feet. Is that right, Rick? Yeah, about 41. And uh, that's that's the reason why. And, you know, beautiful video, by the way. And that's true. 74, that, that, that's how you can tell it's a dash 400. It'll go to 45,100 45, feet. It's the, uh, the, um, the altitude, max altitude there. Uh, the dash 8 um, is 43,100, just like the, you know, service sailing for every other Boeing I've ever flown. Uh, 6 and 7, uh, 7, 6 and 777. 
Um, but it's it's um, and, and the reason why you have to wear this mask when you're that high is because just the the, the time of useful consciousness is just so low. If you have an explosive decompression, um, you have just a mere couple of seconds at that altitude to uh, you know gauge what's going on and react. Put that mask on and and and, and get breathing. Um, and so that's why I I tend to at least at least for us and it, you know SOP at my at my outfit is um you know anything um uh, you know 43 and up whenever there's someone left at the controls by themselves you got to put the mask on um as just a hassle having to wear it and so i just usually you know even if the jet says that we can climb to 43 i'll just you know just tend to stay at 41 because i just don't want to have to deal with this stupid thing um I've you know been to forty five a couple of times and yeah it's great but it's just that's more things to more things that can go wrong because it's it's just just why just why tempt it just stay at forty one and you know just just yeah whatever at least that's how I think I guess I must be getting old because <laughs> now I understand why you know how um, you know when I was when I was I mean a lot younger I mean I, I started flying airliners in my early twenties and. I used to think it was the greatest thing in the world going up to however, you know, as high as the airplane could go. And you know, I'd look to my left and ask the captain, it's like, and, and, he, and, he, and he, you know, come back and tell me, well, give me one good reason why you want to go up that high. <laughs> so I could do an Instagram and video. He, exactly. And, and then I'd be like, and then he, and then he goes, you understand that um, the higher you go, the more, you know, the, the higher the load is on the system, the higher the load is on all the components on you know outflow valves and things, and, and the more stuff that you're opening yourself up to. And then I go, you know what? You're right. There's no reason to go up there at all. And so you know, just you know, little little things you learn along the way. Looks cool though. Yeah. But uh, yeah, why do it? Impressive, but yeah, whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. I I I don't really care and. Uh, Shingles doesn't. Shingles care. doesn't care. Yeah, shingles. Yeah. Shingle doesn't give a damn. No. <laughs> um, what was the service ceiling on the? I, and I'm not. I'm just saying this to a- ask for general knowledge. What, what's the service mm. ceiling on that 340, Nick? Forty-one. Okay, so that's pretty hot, darn hot. Forty-one, one hundred. Yeah, I think you they get allowed a little bit of for the soft ride. Yeah, exactly. You're just above that height there. Oh, just so soft ceiling. Cruise around. I think but, the forty-one uh, uh, C one forty-one was like forty-two thousand or something like that. I think I got up there once, forty-two or forty-three thousand. But it's the same kind of thing. It's like, okay, yeah, that was like, why did we do that? Now we, you know, somebody's got to be hanging them. You know, it's well, just yeah. Good question. Yeah, I got a, a Phantom up to fifty-six, but that was just for fun. And uh, wow. I cruised an F eighteen all halfway across Malaysia at uh, fifty one thousand. Wow! So, nice. Yeah, that, that was could, a you, neat could you stay? Could you stay supersonic on the Hornet for an extended period of time, or it was just in bursts? No, not really. No, and we were subsonic at fifty one thousand. Oh, were su- so, okay, gotcha. Yeah, we 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 tapped the burners to get up there. Because it, hmm. you know, but once we got there, you could generally stay there. It was a bit hard formating on each other because, uh, hmm. you know, everything is slow to react when you're at that height. The air is very thin. So, hmm. yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. It's interesting because you can't, you, you, you technically, unless you are authorized to fly a block of airspace, you can't be at flight level 420. You can't actually request it and be cleared for it. 
because of RVSM, because RVSM mm-hmm. goes 29 to 41. Then above that, spacing goes back down to, you know, 2,000 feet instead of one. So right. 420, yeah. really, you, yeah. can't, you can't fly it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And back in those days, I mean, uh, the RVSM was even a thing. Didn't, yeah. <laughs> when I flew yeah. it. Sorry. And we didn't really worry about cruising altitudes in the Mediterranean until you're sort of going through civil airspace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even then, we didn't worry about them too much. They'll get out of your way. Yeah. Well, we're we're just a little, you know. We avoid everyone, you know. We can see mm-hmm. people coming using the and they're better than everybody, radar. and you should move out of their way. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we try not to frighten the civilians too much. Three A. Okay, uh, we are going to go backwards a bit uh, to. Uh, mind if I do? Um, uh, Brandon's first, um, sure. that way it gives me a chance to set up the video for three a, all right. So, uh, let's go to, uh, feedback six. Uh, this is, um, audio feedback from Brandon. He said, Hey, Captain Jeff put together some commentary about the November, uh, one niner Mike Tango accident. That was that Bonanza flight that we talked about, uh, last or was it last podcast? I think it was two weeks ago or two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. After listening to last week's show, uh, this one hit a little close to home for me. Um, and he said, I'm finally getting caught up. By the way, Brandon is the host of the podcasting on a plane podcast. It's a very well uh, produced, uh, podcast. And he was in our live audience earlier, and uh, I don't know if he's still there or not. Anyway, he said, I'm finally getting caught up and back into the game after a long hiatus. Hopefully, we can catch up one of these days. But until then, thanks for helping rekindle my passion for aviation. And again, Brandon. And it's very nasty if you get a long hiatus. It is. I hear that the short yeah. hiatus is I mean, much easier Steph to take. I know all about that. <laughs> yes. Not my specialty. <laughs> okay. Well, without further ado, let's... I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, while we're playing the audio, we'll tell you. Okay? Uh, all right. Here, go, uh, here goes the audio feedback from... And you'll see why he has his own podcast. It's, uh, he's, it's, uh, well, he's got a great voice. Hey, Captain Jeff and the crew and the APG communities at Bravo Golf out here at West Coast Delta. Long time no see. So I'll add some comments on the the one nine Mike Tango accident out there at Westchester. Um, it hit a little close to home for me, not just because I'm a controller and you know sitting there listening to the replay and and how the controller worked. It was definitely something special. But uh, also a year ago, uh, I actually had the privilege of having to dead stick a Saratoga onto a freeway. I was an airplane that we had picked up from an annual inspection, and let's just say things didn't go so well. And that's something I practiced for thousand, maybe two thousand, maybe three thousand times. I don't know with students, but so, so many times. And it's a good thing because if it ever actually does happen to you, I can tell you right now that when that adrenaline hits you, when everything goes silent and you realize that there's nothing you can do to get that engine running again, pretty much all you have is instinct. I can only imagine what it felt like for those poor individuals given their set of circumstances that night. It was nighttime, low IMC, and an airplane that doesn't make a very good glider. The one bit of luck that they had on their side, though, was an outstanding controller at New York Tracon. And as you all commented, I also can't think of a single thing that he could have done any better. And I hope that he gets an Archie League medal for it. Now, unfortunately, the occupants didn't survive, so I'm not sure if that makes him ineligible. But 
either way, um, hats off to that controller for an outstanding performance. And I've been up in the tower, not worked one, but I've had to sit there and watch an awful fatal accident happen at our airport as well. And I may share that story on my own show one of these days, but I can only hope that if I'm ever in the New York Tracon controller situation for something like this, I, I can only hope that I can do as well as he did. So during the discussion in episode 554, Nick C. mentioned that the uh, comments in the Bonanza Society comments and forums and things like that fell into more or less two camps. The first one was that maybe this would have gone better if he had been put on a straight-in, stabilized approach, and then the other one was maybe if he had spiraled over the airport. Now, believe me, I know all about the comments section because I have one of my own from my accident. So let's, I mean, since we all kind of know better here, let's let's just add a third option. And that is actually exactly what this pilot and this controller did. And it's basically what my instincts would have been. And apparently theirs were too, which would be to point more or less towards the airport and then angle yourself towards what's going to effectively be a short final to a runway, or at least something flat that you can land on and then make adjustments to speed and altitude or whatever you need to do. Uh, Cause you're only getting it one shot at this. So going straight in on like an ILS, I think the thing was falling like a rock. That wasn't really an option. Spiraling over the airport would actually be the thing the FAA would recommend. That's the training standard in the ACS for what you do once you get over the airport is spiral or your landing surface, I should say, spiral down and sort of have a key position. And then you get that one shot at your final approach. And that all works great in day VFR conditions, but in night IMC with a 300 foot ceiling, it just wasn't going to happen. Had it been day, though, I think they would have made it just fine. So let's talk about luck. How much luck goes into something like this? A lot of it, actually, I'd say. My engine failure occurred in some of the finest daytime VFR weather that Southern California could possibly provide. Luck? Well, definitely a bunch of it. Had it happened at pretty much any other time during the flight, my options would have been pretty bad. Had there been traffic on that road, it wouldn't have been an option. And I don't think the outcome would have been so good, since my only other choice was a lagoon with a sandbar in the middle of it. So even though we had briefed what we would do if that engine quit at any other time during the flight, this was clearly the best time it could have happened. So maybe we did luck out. But also, the reason we made the flight on that day was because the weather was so good. We intended to pick it up the day before, but conditions were marginal V to IFR, and the thought of what if made it pretty easy to just say, you know what, we're going to wait another day. So luck then? Or just a better decision. Probably a little bit of both. But this is a flight that was coming right out of annual. There was definitely a fair amount of trepidation around it. But this bonanza? Well, this one wasn't right out of annual. Nobody knew something like this would happen. I mean, the plane probably worked fine on the way in. The pilots are qualified and experienced enough to be there. So how could things have gone so horribly wrong? Well, it reminds me of a conversation I had with a co-owner of the accident aircraft on an IFR proficiency flight that was about six months prior. On that day, the ceilings were between 800 and 1,300 in the area, tops to about 4,000. And I told him that, you know what, man, I don't actually really want to make this flight today. He, he sort of gave me a weird and slightly annoyed look. And he's like, well, what are your personal minimums then? Like, why is this CF double high that I'm paying to practice instrument stuff with me, not comfortable flying an approach down to conditions that pretty much qualify as VFR? Well, fair enough. So I told him, my issue is that most of the terrain that we'd be overflying in the vectoring stage to all these approaches is semi-mountainous terrain where the ceilings were low to maybe even embedded cumulogranite. If our engine quit, we had a fire, or anything catastrophic really, 
there would be no outs, no options. So we decided to fly some approaches at a different airport where there were at least some nearby options like a long highway or another close airport with passable weather, or even the coast where there probably weren't likely to be many beachgoers or surfers on a day like that if, you know, worst came to worst. They told me he never really thought of it that way. Like during the vectoring portion and in route, it didn't really matter what was beneath you. But he thought of personal minimums as very important. And I said, well, you know, they are very important. I mean, of course, on a proficient day, I mean, I, of course, too, would not be bothered to fly an ILS down to about 200 and a half, just as long as there's going to be a runway in front of me when we pop out. But if something happens, you can come out of the bottom of the clouds with about four seconds to find out what you're going to hit. Well, that's a place no pilot should ever be. But back to Westchester, I'm sure that the Bonanza pilot knew the risk he was taking. Blasting off into darkening skies with low ceilings beneath. I mean, it's something that I used to do all the time, too. He had no reason we know of not to trust the airplane. So, he made a bet. But he was dealt a bad hand that day. He played it the best he could. But unfortunately, the house still won. In the aftermath of a tragedy like this, there are always lessons to be learned. And I'm sure that in a year or two... I'll be watching this again as a case study in one of my air traffic training scenarios or something like that. But formal training aside, hopefully we can all just remember how this tragedy played out and incorporate it into our gut feelings that we have when we're making those all-important go, no-go choices. Because we're choosing to fly IFR in a single engine, single pilot, basically single point of failure type light aircraft. There's a lot more to it than just personal approach minimums. So I want to emphasize that I'm not making these comments to be judgmental. The accident pilot doesn't seem to have broken any rules, written or unwritten. The pilot and the aircraft seem to be in perfectly good, working, reasonable order and flying within parameters. The pilot even made an excellent decision to divert when you noticed performance wasn't up to par. It's just that a single point of failure made the one and only engine stop working. So, through probably no fault of the pilot's own, he was left in a nearly impossible situation. So, my comments here, again, are not to be judgmental. I think the pilot did everything he possibly could, and he was just dealt an impossible hand. But I just want to urge all small aircraft pilots to learn from this tragedy and just always see that bigger picture when you fire up that one and only engine and decide to go slip the surly bonds of earth. And now I have a few comments too from the air traffic side of things. So during the discussion in 554, the whole crew commented on the precision of the radar and how the controller was able to give precise instructions and vectors. And if I had to guess, I'm sure that New York Tracon is probably using Fusion and STARS as their radar system. So what that system does, it's the same one we have out here at West Coast, and it sort of blends the information from all the radar sensors around the area and puts a position symbol where it determines an aircraft to be, versus the older systems where you'd be using one single sensor, you can select which one it was, but it rotates around once every about seven seconds, and then you get the beacon slash and the primary target, and well, that's just how we did it. Fusion, of course, does it every one second, so the planes are moving along in sort of a dit, dit, it instead of having to wait seven seconds for every update, which is really, really nice. It's extremely precise, but it actually has a couple of limitations on it. And one of them came up in the talking points, and it was brought up that the Bonanza was going over 200 knots at one point. Now, given the circumstances, that's entirely possible. But what Fusion does is when an aircraft makes a tight turn or makes some maneuvers, the speed usually displays really high, and sometimes really, really high. I don't actually know why that is, but I, I know it has something to do with how the algorithm is calculating speed in the background. But it's also slow to indicate large speed changes. So now's probably a good time to remind everyone that we're looking at a calculated ground speed every time we see your speed. So what we see is always going to be a bit lagging compared to what you've got in the cockpit. And, of course, we know this. 
Also, something about when aircraft makes a really tight turn, like in a traffic pattern or a base to final on a visual approach, sometimes the system seems to have a little trouble animating it correctly, especially in our area where I think we have something like 13 of the radar sites that it blends together. So sometimes the track might sort of trail through the final for a second and then snap back to where the aircraft should be. It's kind of weird how it does that. We all know it does it, but it may have come up a little bit at the very end of the accident recording because uh, we'd hear the controller sort of keep talking. like It's a head to your left, head to your right, head to whatever. I'm not sure if the position symbol is moving around, but the important thing is the controller just kept talking to him no matter what, all the way to the end. But minus those few known limitations, it is in fact a great and very precise technology, and we can see how much it helped in this situation. But do keep that stuff in mind anytime you're going to watch a radar replay. But anyway, thanks for letting me share my thoughts on your show. Uh, it's been a bit of a, well, I'm in a strange place with my relationship with aviation. I'll just leave it at that. But listening to APG crew and the community share their passion for it has really helped me regain some of mine. So until next time, this is Bravo Golf at West Coast Delta. Good day. Oh, man, Brandon. Man, love you. Um, and wow, I, I I heard you talk about your experience um, in in the Saratoga and uh, and and what a what a an amazing not in a good way <laughs> experience profound yeah profound uh, experience it was and um, yeah completely under understand taking some time and and all that and it's so nice to have people like you friends like you who have such a depth of knowledge about so many things, you know, being a pilot, being an instructor, being a, an air traffic controller. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, gift of riches and that, that voice. we're, um, Oh yeah. And then Liz is adding <laughs> and what a voice. I mean, great pipes, man. Uh, really, really, um, yeah, it's obvious, you know, why you why you have a podcast because you have a, an amazing voice. But anyway, thank you so much for taking the time to send in that feedback, and uh, you made so many great points, and um, it's definitely food for thought for a lot of people out there who are um, GA pilots. And uh, it's hard sometimes, I think, for people like me who really have very little experience with GA. And very, very little experience, like almost zero, a little, little bit higher than normal uh, with single engine type airplanes. And uh, I'm just so used to flying airplanes that have an incredible amount of capability, um, you know, more than one engine, uh, instrument systems that have, you know, multiple redundancy and that kind of thing. And when I heard the conditions of that day, that's why it just it hit me so hard that Wow, I mean, that just sounds really scary to me to be flying in those kind of conditions with an airplane that only has one engine and Brandon's doesn't. Still here. Uh, oh, Brandon's still here in our uh, in our uh, live audience. Thank you, Brandon. Um, no, don't do not apologize. He's, he's apologizing for it being so long. <laughs> I, I didn't think it was that long. I, I could listen for another twenty minutes of of that. So uh, thank you so much for uh, for for as I said for sending that in, and uh, I'm sure that. Um, our other co-hosts here might want to have, uh, they probably have some thoughts about what you uh, presented to us. I just say, you know, I know we went through a lot of stuff when we actually, when, when we initially talked about this, but I just thought that was a really nice synthesis of a lot of, 
um, points that were brought up and by someone who has relevant experience, both from, you know, being in an aircraft with an engine failure single, um, um, and having to do a forced landing on a, uh, a highway of all places. And then from the controller side of things, too, there aren't too many people out there who have all of that perspective. Um, and no doubt that really helped you out, Brendan, when you were in that situation. But um, it helps the rest of us out to hear that and to put all those pieces of the puzzle together. So thank you very much for sharing. You uh, took the words right out of my mouth, Steffi. That's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, who better than him to chime in the way he did? And I'm with you, Jeff. What a set of pipes, man. Great, great feedback. Thank you so much for that, Brent. Such a measured um, description of what happened to him and what he thought about the actions of the crew and the controller. Uh, yeah, really good stuff. Um, I'm sure I've heard your voice before. Uh on um, 2001 Space Odyssey, <laughs> did you voice over the ground controller that was speaking to uh, Discovery One that was on its way out into the uh, outer planets? Because uh, you know that that voice just sounds so familiar. Anyway, lovely to hear. Thanks so much. Well, and also you might be familiar with uh, the. Um cable news network and uh you know this is cnn this is cnn um that's him no that's uh that's not that's uh somebody else Can you imagine <laughs> you imagine the conversation between brandon and david Edinburgh? yeah that'd be a good one. <laughs> oh yeah yeah i think they just keep going down exactly that's good stuff and a fight you, for the bottom hey have you, if you haven't um subscribed to uh, Brandon's podcast, Podcasting on a Plane. Um, I think it'd be very interesting uh, for you to listen to his very first episode because he kind of explains why he decided to do this whole podcasting endeavor and why he got into aviation uh, because he experienced... Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon, uh, but uh, I believe that when you were a young person, uh, you were involved in an aircraft accident and it had a profound effect on you. And, uh, that's really kind of formed your life. And uh, of course it's going to take some time for us to get the response from him because we're on a little bit of a well, while delay. You're, while you're waiting on that, one other thing yeah. that I just wanted to reiterate that he said, I think it's, um, it, you know, those of us who fly, no matter what level we are at our, uh, you know, on our journey and our, um, in our professional careers, there's always advice that you can take on board from people out there who have relevant real world experience. And it struck me when he was talking to this um, co-owner of the airplane who wanted him to go do uh, some instrument training with him. And he's like, no, it's, it's not a great idea because the on route terrain or the, the areas we're going to be vectored over aren't good options, you know, and it didn't occur to him. Um, a similar situation of an instance that, that I know about that was unfortunately not a good outcome for personal friends of mine included a flight that, originated in VMC, was going to terminate in VMC, but the en route portion was very low ceilings, and that's where the engine failure occurred. So thinking about all that stuff is is just really not something that I think we always do, but we should be taking all that on board. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, um, this accident that uh, Brandon was involved in when he was age nine and I thought, I don't know why in my head, it was Big Bear, um, California, but it was a Telluride, Colorado. Yeah, it's kind of a mountainous area. But anyway, uh, 
Um, yeah, please do check out Brandon's uh, amazing podcast. And, uh, he's a, he's a great storyteller and a great What's interviewer. It called, it's called podcasting on a plane. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can uh, subscribe. And, uh, we look forward to, uh, more from you, Brandon. Okay. Let's wrap it up. All with right. Mohammed. Let's wrap it up with item number three, a, and this is from our good friend, Mohammed, who had to bail on us finally, because, uh, at the time he left us about an hour ago, it was like two o'clock in the morning in Baghdad, Iraq. And, uh, he says, dear APG crew and community, hope you've all been well and wishing you all the best. Well, I was on a midnight shift. It was about four o'clock in the morning. I told my colleagues, I shall take a quick nap before my next duty start. The control tower is uh, 13 floors up. I went to floor 10 in a dark room and quiet, perfect location for horror movies, he says in parentheses, (laughs) uh, for the nap in the old sofa there. I put my head down for a few minutes and I started to hear hear weird voices like small rain sounds. And I said to myself, impossible, it's raining. The weather is absolutely clear. And then suddenly I found the sofa shaking. And then the whole building is shaking. I jumped from my place running to my colleagues on the 13th floor because I realized it's an earthquake. I arrived in the operations room uh, and they were calm. Uh, We decided to stay despite the issues. Um, No fears or concerns. Actually, we were surprised because it's very, very rare that earthquakes happen in Iraq. So we lived through the moment. Shortly after my arrival, let's say the earthquake impact started to decrease I made a short video from our operations room. It's from my Instagram account. Well, literally, the room was shaking like the ride ship that kids always like to play in amusement parks. Uh, I thought it would be interesting to share with you and uh, wish you well. And again, this is uh, Mohammed from Baghdad. And now we're going to play uh, his, his video. I'm, I'm turning off the sound Muhammad, because I'm not sure if this is something that's going to get me in trouble or not as far as copyrights concerned. So, um, here we go. Uh, we're going to describe it. Uh, during the earthquake yesterday, the tower simply was shaking like a pirate ship ride. So he's showing us a video from inside the tower cab looking around and we're seeing some of the computers, uh, shaking and, um, yeah, the whole the whole darn thing is shaking here. I'll play it again. Um, I guess it's really hard to get. Oh, the, the, what's that thing swinging around? What is? What That's was the light gun? It's like the light gun. Oh, the light gun. Oh, it's yeah, like it's this, a, an oldest lamp. Yeah. Um, so this was the Turkey Syria. This was the big giant um, earthquake in. Uh, well, in, in Iraq, but also Turkey and Syria that took the brunt of it, especially mm. Turkey. I think that. The uh, so far, I, I I think the last thing I heard the death toll was over eleven thousand, and uh, that mm, many people geez. were saying it's likely that it's going to be at least twice that by the time they yeah, do it's, all it's, yeah. You know, talk about bad things piling up. We had that, but also terrible weather conditions, and you know a lot of these people living in um, inaccessible places. So mm-hmm. not not good. Yeah, not good at all. But we're glad that you made it fine through that whole experience. Thanks for sending it, Mohammed. Yeah, thanks so much for sending it into uh, your family here at the APG. We do uh, appreciate you and uh, 
your input. And uh, we, I know, I know you said you've learned a lot from us, but you know what? We learn a lot from you. So thank you for Absolutely. being part of this. All right. Yep. Okay. Wrap it's it up. It's time baby. for the wrap up. So let's uh, point to you. Lots of feedback left for next show. Yep. Uh, Liz is mentioning she's very happy. She's almost laughing right now. Um, lots of feedback still remains uh, for the next show and beyond. Uh, an embarrassment of riches. And uh, we do appreciate you uh, sending us the you feedback. You mean I put my sci-fi background up for absolutely well, nothing? Well, I know. It's it not going to happen. Yeah, hold on to it. Liz says, uh, hold on to it for the next show. <laughs> The um, good news is you don't have to put, find a Nick, new background for the next show. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'll find something else. <laughs> yeah, also, you to can't wow leave. us with. <laughs> and, and also, I think that we've been uh, shuffling. Um, let's see, who is this from? This is from uh, AJ, uh, Alpha Juliet, um, uh, for several shows. And don't worry, we're, yeah, we are we are going to play this. And actually, I heard this uh, this feedback on. Uh, opposing bases that that uh, jacket that I was wearing in my video uh, when I was doing the uh, flight with Armando, I was uh, I was representing OB or was it BO? I'm not sure. It's one of those. I don't know. And uh, anyway, how uh, how stressed were you on that flight with Armando? Uh, not stressed at all. Not sweating. Not sweating. No. Anyway, it was great to have the whole crew together today. It was OB, great OB. to have the whole the whole crew together today. Uh, thank you, Liz. <laughs> all right, so. Got lots of great stuff for us, uh, for you to listen to and for us to cover on the next show. But we're going to point you over to AirlinePilotGuy.com, our website. Lots of good stuff uh, for you to check out there. And we're also on social media. And oh, thank you. Dr. Steph is here to tell us all about it. <laughs> Man, I was gone for one week. Stressed you out that much. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, social media. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea. If, if you're if you're still on the social meds, head over to Facebook. We're facebook.com uh, slash airline pilot guy. Also on Twitter at APG crew with individual Twitter handles pinned to the top of that page if you'd like to follow our content individually. And then Instagram, we're APG crew and Nick often puts the show art there. Or probably always. I don't know. I'm yeah. neglecting it still. Um, but speaking of things that are not neglected, that would be Slack. Uh, and uh, I'll hand it over to Hillel to I'm not sure if he's made tell it us more about Slack. Not. If he's here, let's if he's here, see. let me let let's me uh, pull up, push hey, up the fader on that. Well, I hear the I hear. Hey, Hillel, <laughs> Hillel, Slack. Can you tell us about Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. That's okay. We love we love it when you're dripping wet. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything else. All right, uh, come over here. Tell us all about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. Thank you, uh, Hillel. I hope you had a great trip, and uh, glad to have you it's back. You got to be more careful. Ouch. I don't know. You'd think he had learned by now, but he's always rushing. Always rushing. 
Mm. All right. Um, and uh, so, yeah, find out more about Slack by contacting Hillel. Again, I'm not sure if his <laughs> that email address is still working or not, but we'll, we'll find out soon. And um, great to have you with us again, Rick and Steph. Hey, and- happy to be here. And Captain Nick and Liz, and uh, we're going to uh, bring Liz back into the fray here, and we're going to thank her Hi, so buddy. much for so, so much for all the hard work that goes beyond on behind the scenes. Thank you, Liz. Yes, thank you, Liz. You're awesome. My pleasure. Great to see everybody today. We love you so much, and oh, that's a nice fade out, isn't it? Let me try that again. Okay, there we go. Good transition. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> hey. <laughs> means a lot coming from you. Thank you. Um, And I guess, anything else to say before we sign off? All right. Hey, Colonel Jeff, if you're listening, you recognize that hat over there on top of my bag? It's not an acne hat. All right. Ah. And wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Talons, Douglas. Cheers, (laughs) y'all. See y'all next time. Be good. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Cheers, everyone. Good day. Fly, oh.